brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What is up, diehards? It's Monday, baby, and I'm fucking pissed. I am motivated out of my mind right now. Last week, UFC Vegas 59. We went eight out of ten. Link, yes, Link is pumped up as well. Thank you. I appreciate the addition to the show. We went eight out of ten on fight picks last week. Eight out of ten. And I still managed to bet the one freaking fight that was going to cost me money. I found a way to shoot myself right in the... Okay, Link, that's enough. You're ruining the intro. No. No. Stop it. Shush. You spend all this time working to be a content creator. You put all this effort in, and then you go and have dogs and kids, and they just fuck it all up. That's how, the, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. Intro ruined. Thank you, Linky. All the people appreciate you joining in the conversation. Okay, so guys, long story short, I made one big bet last week. I lost that bet on Luke. Luke was the never fade Luke spot. Like, you just can't bet against the guy. Now I can't bet on him either. <laughs> I don't know. Luke is on the never bet list from now freaking on. But before we start the show, I just want to quote the prophet Ted Lasso when he posed the question, do you know what the happiest animal in the world is? The answer is it's a goldfish. And do you know why? Because goldfishes have a 10-second memory. Get your ass out there and go be a goldfish. I am taking that message to heart today, all right? We're not done. We got a lot of gear left. I still got time to turn this shit around. We're going to do it. We're going to get there. Like I said, motivated out of my freaking mind to make sure I put some winners on the table in the coming weeks. What is up, 
chat. We've already got 70 people hanging out live today. Alan loves MMA. Joseph hitting me with the t-shirt. You know, we need to do another giveaway, actually. It has been way too long since we've given away some swag. I love Clinty Baby in the chat here. We've got Dream. We've got Nathan. We have JW, Grateful Dude, Preston, Ezekiel. I know it's not Ezekiel, but I always say Ezekiel. I have no idea why. Dropping the uh, promo here, talking about the next PSR meetup. We definitely appreciate all the support you guys give us here. Keeping Pub Sports Radio going so we can keep bringing you the free content. All right, everybody. So we got some good stuff coming up, and uh, I am too far behind to rattle off all the names. Thank you all so much for jumping in the chat. Love all the live viewers, of course. We are talking UFC San Diego this week, and uh, my guest and I were just chatting about it a little bit. This is a surprisingly good card. We got a couple of fill-ins from last week, so a couple extra things to talk about in the soup today. A long overdue debut on the Die Hard MMA uh, podcast. I bring to you John Kelly, DFS. What's up, John? How you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. First off, thank you, Clint, for having me on. Pleasure to be on the Pub Sports Radio. Pleasure to be talking fights with you. And uh, I will add to the fact I know your pain with the uh, kids' noise in the background because I did <laughs> a very quick spot on Book It With Sports, uh, Trent Atya, if you know who that is. I hopped on there. This was like a couple months back. And literally, my daughter, who was in her playpen, which is right across from me, that you can't see was quiet as a mouse. I hop on for like 60 seconds. And in that 60 seconds, she like took her pots and pans and just started banging them nonstop. So the chat was saying that I was at hibachi. They were roasting me. It was terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I know your pain there. Um, but uh, obviously can't complain. I mean, nothing's better than kids though, right? It's true. Nothing's better than kids. Nothing's better than family. I love the kids. I love the dog. And you know, people absolutely love Link when I do my reaction videos. So he's just getting a, a little too much spotlight there, man. He's getting a little too big for his britches trying to make the Monday show now. <laughs> All right, everybody. So John, real quick, tell the people a little bit about yourself. It's your first time here on the podcast with me. Uh, you do a lot of DFS content. Unless I'm mistaken, you're doing the uh, Dana White Contender Series breakdowns. How'd you do last week? Just uh, kind of set the table for us here, man. Yeah, so for those that don't know, I, I talk a lot of fights just like Clint does. Uh, I'm a YouTube at John Kelly DFS. I do weekly uh, fight card breakdowns every UFC card. I do Dana White Contender Series stuff as well. That's honestly probably the most fun I have is with the Dana White Contender Series stuff just because I, I, I dive deep into that quite a bit. So you can check that out on my YouTube. I post it all to Twitter as well. We have a lot of fun with that stuff. Um, as far as last week goes, not a ton of betting spots. I know we kind of talked a little bit about it earlier. Uh, I basically... Uh, lost, I think, a quarter unit. I only had two bets. One hit and one didn't. Uh, the Juice Boy parlay came home for the people, but the uh, under two and a half uh, plus 310 on the uh, tough fight between uh, Walker and uh, Juliana Miller, unfortunately, didn't quite get there, but that's okay. Uh, like you said, we got contenders coming up tomorrow night. I like a couple spots there. Um, and then, obviously, this weekend, I haven't bet anything yet, but there's definitely a couple looks that I'm, I'm going to be betting and that I'm sure we'll get into tonight. I'm looking forward to it, man. There's a couple spots that I am eyeballing as well. I think this will be a fun one for us to do. So, hey, everybody, after we get done with the show, obviously go check out John Kelly's breakdowns of the Dana White Contender Series. I'm going to be watching those myself this evening. And, uh, hey, let's jump straight on into UFC San Diego. As most of you may well know at this point, the show's lines are brought to you 
by Superbook Sports. Always got to make sure I shout them out. And I'm happy to announce that they actually do have Dana White Contender Series lines at this point. They didn't have them, I don't think, last week. I think this is a relatively new thing for Dana or for uh, Superbook Sports. So we're going to have another betting option for those of us who use that sports book. So let's dig into this first fight of the evening. We have got Ariane Lipsky taking on Priscilla Cachuera. And like I mentioned before, John, we do have a couple of transplant fights, you know, a couple of these spots that we have broken down previously and talked about that for whatever reason or another got moved cards. So from what I'm understanding, uh, Lipsky, she misses weight last week. She was supposed to be fighting on the previous week's card. And there was a lot of speculation flying around. Some of my speculation is I thought that maybe there was a like a, a woman's issue type of situation for her. We've heard the ladies in MMA talk about sometimes the body just doesn't do it, right? The weight cut will not happen if it's the wrong time. And that seemed almost kind of like what may have happened to her, considering they said she fell ill and they pushed it back a week. Uh, kind of hard to think it's, I don't know, maybe like a stomach bug or something. You really never know in these types of situations. And I didn't see anything official personally that came out as to what it was that was ailing her but we're gonna rewind it we're going straight back to it these two are supposed to be locking horns here this week and the one thing that i find most interesting about this fight john is that the line opened up steeper and i always have a little bit of a uh i don't know my my tinfoil hat definitely uh jumps on when this happens you know Lipsky opened up at like minus 140 minus 145 ish she's opening up minus 190 minus 200 at this point so the bookies have definitely taken the angle of that money coming in on Lipsky is probably what they're listening to for this uh this I was gonna say rematch, but they never fought the first time. So <laughs> there we're just getting a relined fight here this week, but the price is definitely wider. I know a lot of people were on the dog last week. What do you think of this matchup, John? How do you think the week pushing back affects it? Does it change your opinion of a side or anything like that coming in to start us off with this one? Yeah, so I'll answer the second question first. Uh, basically, I any, anything that I can't really quantify, I try to kind of stay away from just because at that point, we're it's so subjective. Like we're we're basically doing guesswork and sometimes it'll work in your favor, sometimes it won't. So, you know, you can do what you want with it. I typically choose to ignore it unless it's like something super serious. Um, this one, in this case, I don't think is really that big of a deal. So it really doesn't change how I see the fight playing out. Um, I think if Lipsky were to grapple, she would have all the upside to cover her price tag here. The problem is she never does that, right? Like she landed one takedown in her UFC debut since then has not landed a single takedown. Obviously she had the uh, knee bar against Luana Carolina. Her grappling has seemed to be improving, at least her submission grappling, but it doesn't mean the wrestling is and the game plan, you know, she basically has never come in looking to wrestle. So I don't even really expect that here despite it being her best path to victory. So mm -hmm. I expect this to be a striking match. And the problem for Lipsky in that scenario is that we know both of these women are going to eat shots. The problem is I know that Cachuera can eat those shots and still move forward and throw heavies. I'm not convinced that Lipsky's able to do that. You know, she's kind of chinny in my opinion. She's been knocked out three times in her career. We've seen her, um, you know, we've seen her hurt on the regional scene before we've seen her hurt in the UFC. Like if this is going to be a striking match where they're just out there trading heavy shots, like I'm going to have interest in the dog, probably not going to bet her. But like, I think I saw someone in the chat say like around three KO prop. If you want to get crazy on something like that, I definitely don't hate it. I would rather play a, a prop on Cachuera than lay the chalk on Lipsky side. 
Okay. I hear you there. I definitely was on the opposite standpoint of that, that it was a favorite or pass situation for me personally. I think that the time for Lipsky spending out there after moving to American top team, I think this is about the time where we would expect to see those kinds of improvements starting to get into our game, starting to take place, working with the high level team, working with, you know, higher level training partners, people that can actually push her in the gym. And ATT has one of the best stables of women's fighters in the game right now it's hard to find anywhere else to go to to beat the bodies that they've got in there for her to work with so i kind of feel like this is the spot where a true blue chip prospect really kind of turns the corner after working with higher level coaches and and teammates and partners things of that nature and, and i'm glad you mentioned the wrestling like you said she doesn't look to wrestle she calls herself the queen of violence she likes to come out and strike with people and hurt people with her hands but she did in an interview very, very clearly mention that she went to ATT to work on her grappling skills because she has the jujitsu, she has the submission ability, but she didn't know how to apply it in MMA. So now she goes to ATT where she can work, you know, we would assume on her wrestling, the transitioning between striking and grappling, the transition between wrestling and jujitsu. So yeah, for me personally, I still like the Lipsky side, and like I said, I, maybe again, maybe it's a little bit of the tinfoil hat talking, but when the bookies take that money and they move the line a couple cents, the line, the the week is pushed back, one, the fight is pushed back one week, I'm stumbling all over the place, sorry everybody, the fight gets pushed back one single week, nothing has changed, nothing has changed, and if anything, there should be issues on the Lipsky side, you know, if she's the one that pulled out for an illness or being sick, or that's the side you'd have questions on, no, 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 the bookies are, you know, posting that price tag steeper, so... I mean, that kind of, for me personally, that kind of reassures me that the bookies also think that maybe she, she she should be a higher favorite than she opened up the first time. Hard to jump in at minus 190 at this point, I'd say, but I do think uh, I'm going to stick on the Lipsky side. No bet at this point for me, but I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if she does actually come out and show off some grappling chops that we haven't seen before. That was a, sorry, John, that was a bit of a long-winded rebuttal there. That's my bad. <laughs> no, no, I, I honestly, I hope she does look to grapple. Like, I, I'm generally a fan of Lipsky. You know, Ketchuera always puts on fun fights, but I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Lipsky come in and show some improvements, some improvements that we've all kind of been waiting for because she was kind of a highly touted prospect coming over. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of hype surrounding her. I, I would love to see her definitely turn that corner, but I'll be honest with you, I'm a massive Ketchuera fan. I always have been kind of a, you know, I like the rough and tumble underdogs. You know what I mean? The fighters that are counted out, but they get in there and they get it done every once in a while. I love those types of fighters. So Cachoeira, I got a soft spot for her. She better have the blue hair this week, though, John. Last week, she came into weigh-ins, no blue hair stripe. I was very, I was heartbroken. I was very upset. She better bring that back the blue hair for me. <laughs> All right, everybody. Next fight of the night, Jason Witt taking on Josh Quinlan and another super interesting situation here right now you guys all know the Dana White contender series fade angle that I have it demands that I have a bet on wit I, I don't like it whatsoever I think Josh Quinlan is going to knock wit out cold I don't trust wit's chin it's a problem but at the same time we've got a guy in Quinlan coming off of a steroid layoff a suspension of nine months due to a tainted supplement that is not a tainted supplement he openly admitted to taking steroids so uh, because of that we can't really trust that this guy isn't going to be doing something fishy again and the fight got pulled from his last event uh because he did in fact have more 
samples. Uh, it was kind of the, I guess, maybe the pulsing issue similar to the John Jones situation that we had where they found traces, but it doesn't necessarily mean it was an active agent. I mean, John, what do you make of all that? Because that was a, a huge thing a year or two ago where people were getting these little traces popped up. And it's like, you know, again, I'm going off of the USADA. Uh, the way that they're putting it, though, is is basically that it doesn't necessarily mean they're on it right now. It's something that sits in your system for a long time. There's not necessarily a benefit. So they've created a threshold that you have to be within before it is some kind of a problem. Like how do you digest all of that information? And, and does that put you on one side or the other with this random wild card in the middle of it? So if anything, I mean, I, I was already on the Quinlan side. He was actually going to be in that juice boy parlay. It got voided. If anything, this has to be a confidence increase. Like why wouldn't <laughs> I want my guy on steroids when he's fighting a guy that can't take a punch, right? Like, I mean, that's honestly like, I, I don't put too much weight into it. Like honestly, half of these guys are probably all on steroids and just getting yeah. away with it. That's just my opinion. Who really knows at the end of the day? But uh, I mean, this do certainly doesn't hurt the Quinlan side, right? Like, oh, my guy's on steroids. Like, he's not going to fight worse on steroids, whether he is or he isn't. Uh, but either way, what it comes down to for me is like, Quinlan's a decent prospect. You know, I taped him quite a bit on Contender Series last season. He ended up uh, fighting some guy on short notice. Quick work of him, like you said, ended up um, pissing hot on uh, on USADA drug test for that fight. Um, but I just, I don't really think it matters against Jason Witt because Jason Witt has the high level wrestling, you know, averages like eight takedowns per 15 minutes, something like that. But it's like, even if Witt's able to have that wrestling success, how long is it going to last? Like, okay, so say he takes him down and lays on him for a round. Okay, well, round two starts back on the feet. It is only a matter of time until Quinlan touches that chin. And the fact of the matter is Jason Witt just can't take the punch anymore. He's been knocked out. I think six times in his career. And even the times when he didn't, um, he, every, every fight he's in, you know, it's back and forth wars where he ends up getting clipped, getting dropped. I think Quinlan's powerful enough and well-rounded enough to probably keep it on the feet and hurt him. So give me Quinlan by knockout, all the knockout props. You could get Quinlan at least last week, you could get him plus 125 by knockout. And a lot of people don't like playing like props that are kind of priced that low. But honestly, mm -hmm. like I, I really think any plus money on Quinlan by knockout is good here just because I think it's it's probably like a 70% outcome honestly yeah I think that makes a ton of sense John and I, I gotta figure out what I'm doing here because last week I said you know what guys I am blindly betting the Dana White contender series fade angle the angle works long term I've been picking and choosing and picking the wrong ones so like now I'm just gonna straight up play it and even these ones like this one that just feel so gross to me I'm still gonna bet it because Don't those do it, man. Been, yeah, but you know what though, with the with the like you said, with them postponing the fight and with us having the thought that you know maybe the steroid guy's just still on steroids, like I <laughs> I hate it so much, John. I don't. I don't want to blindly burn a unit on Jason Witt because I can't trust that chin. I can't trust that gas tank. And the one thing that I really liked about Quinlan's game is dude's got hips. Like, his sprawl is so good. So, like you mentioned, Wit is a gasser. He's a guy that slows down after all this wrestling. And I bet against him in his last fight because we knew – or not his last fight, I apologize, the, the fight before that. Um, Phil Rowe. I was like, it doesn't matter that he's going to get taken down. We know he's going to start round two standing. We know he's going to start round three standing. It just takes one. If he touches him once, it's over. 
And I feel the same thing about Quinlan that I'm just like, I, I don't think that Jason Witt will be able to get double legs in round three. So even if he's two rounds up, this thing ain't over. <laughs> so I, I think I'm probably just going to pass at this point because I can't bet against my own angle. It's either bet on the angle or don't bet it at all. So I'm going to go ahead and pass here. I'm going to pick Quinlan, same as I did last time. The Dana White Contender Series fade angle is Jason Witt, uh, but I, I'm not jumping to, to lay a unit and light it on fire here in this case after a week. I've kind of settled on that idea. <laughs> Okay. We got the chat bumping in here, everybody. 161 live viewers. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us on a Monday night. Do us a favor, smash that like button. Let's get this party going. And here we are, the first actual matchup for UFC San Diego. We've got Yusef Zalal taking on Damon Blackshear. And let me tell you, John, I've never heard of Damon Blackshear. So, of course, had to run around, find some tape, do some work. I like this guy. Damon Blackshear is making his UFC debut, and he is no joke. He's the CFFC champion, trains out of Jackson Wink, which eh, these days, you know, that doesn't bring a whole lot to the table, in my opinion, necessarily. But strong forward pressure forces the grappling. And this guy is insane in scrambles, John. He's one of these guys that chains submission attacks. Like, you know how to defend a sub. He's thought three ahead and will continue working for the next one, two, three attacks. And it's just a matter of time. He also is more than confident and capable of putting people in backpack situations where he'll just control them positionally from back there. I've seen him take some really questionable submission attacks, but his ability to scramble out of those bad positions and get himself back up to top position, he has no fear. He has no problem diving on any opportunity he gets because he can get out of those spots and get back to a dominating position. It's insane. His squeeze is tight. He follows you to the mat. I love everything about Black Blackshear. His only losses were to Danny Sabatillo and Pat Sabatini, so a couple names that we are very familiar with, and his only losses were by decision. So... Four losses, two of them to UFC caliber competition, never been finished. I liked him on Blackshear. Now, Yusef Zalal, 10-5, and five, I honestly thought he was cut. I really thought the UFC had let him go. He's on a three-fight losing skid. He's dropping a weight class here, which is interesting to me. And Factory X has just been on an absolute tear recently. I've been doing my damnedest to donate money betting against them lately because I have not believed <laughs> and they just keep on getting me. So I, I'm not jumping at the opportunity to go against another Factory X guy right now because they seem to be putting it together as a squad. But you go back and look at his fights, man. He's fighting some high-level guys. You know, he was favored over Ilya Taporia. Now, I know everybody jumped on the plus money at Ilya Taporia. He closed nearly a pick'em, and everybody loved that spot, but he still gave Ilya some problems in that fight. He's got a 64% striking defense. His submission defense game is on point. He mixes the striking and the grappling really well. His level changes are good. He went to a split with Sean Woodson. I mean, even in three losses, Yusef Zalal has proven, in my opinion, that he's UFC caliber. The issues that I have is he's got a 56% takedown defense. Again, that's UFC caliber competition up a level. And the Jordan Griffin fight. The Jordan Griffin fight really, really got me a little concerned about our guy Yusef Solal because 
in those cage grappling opportunities, he did give up his back a couple times to Jordan, who, in my opinion, is a lesser version of DeMond Blackshear. So I've got questions. But at the same time, it's hard for me to go to war backing a guy with this amount of UFC-level experience against a guy making his UFC debut. Zalal is a minus-120 favorite. The comeback on DeMond Blackshear is plus-100. As much as I like DeMond Blackshear, as much as I think this guy is probably going to make some waves here in the UFC, especially if he goes with a you know a backpack-style game plan, something that we've seen a lot of fighters use recently, I have a hard time jumping in at this point. People that got in early that got a much bigger number on DeMond, I totally get it, but it almost feels like a buy low on Yusef at this point. John, how do you feel about this fight? Yeah, I'm excited for this fight right off the rip here, and I will say I am going to be betting... Um, the uh, Demon Blackshear side. So I'm I'm right with you. I am impressed with this kid. I've never been high on the Zalil side. Like it, there there is a world. You know, a couple of years ago, remember Zalil came to UFC. He won like three straight fights. He was a massive favorite in a couple of those fights. Like he was getting way too much respect by the market. Um, shout out to Jonah, my guy Jonah Shiffy on Twitter. Um, but we we were a big uh, fade Zalil movement um, going into. Even the Sung Woo Choi fight, we cashed big tickets there. Obviously, the Ilya Chaporia fight. So I've always kind of been a Zalal fader, and I'm going to do that here too. Anytime you get a decent price too, just because the guy doesn't like convincingly win rounds. And to your point, yes, he's had moments in a couple of those fights during the losing streak. But like you said, the split decision, it's because he's not convincingly winning rounds. He doesn't throw a lot of volume on the feet. He's got good footwork, but you know he's going to dance around the outside and mostly just try to evade the punches coming back at him and then dart in out of the pocket, land a couple jabs, a couple leg kicks. The times when he implements the wrestling, he looks okay, but he can only do that against guys that can't defend takedowns or guys that he's either either equal or going to be stronger then. And that's not the case here. Even moving mm-hmm. down a weight class, I think Blackshear is going to be the stronger fighter, the better grappler, like you mentioned. And it's like even in the striking I kind of favor the Blackshear side. I think he's much more explosive on the feet. He is going to throw a little bit of funky, like spinning attacks and stuff like that. But he has some really solid leg kicks. You mentioned the takedowns. Like, I think this kid's pretty good. He trains at an okay camp. I I kind of talk smack about Jackson Wink, but at least there's like decent guys there. Um, Not quite to the level that Zaleel's training with. But regardless, I I do like the kid. I think he's going to make make a pretty decent showing in his UFC debut. So I don't mind betting him. Um, I think he's out of pick him on FanDuel. Uh, like you said, plus 100 super book, I think, and DraftKings have him plus 100 still. I think that's great. I wouldn't chase the sub prop just because Zalil is very weaselly on the mat. Like you remember the Taporia fight, like he fought out of some really deep subs there. And I did bet Taporia by sub there. So um, I, I don't know. I just wouldn't get too carried away with the submission prop. I'd stick to the money line. I think the money line's really good. Um, but like you said, I mean, Blackshear is going to chain him together. So, I mean, he's definitely going to going to give you some opportunities to cash it at least yeah you know Zalal's uh submission defense has really been on point we've seen him in some bad positions before and he's always managed to work his way out of them it depends on the number for me obviously we'll get the props a little bit later in the week I think like you said stick to the money line the money line is definitely the way to go because Blackshear could easily win by sub or decision I don't hate the shot if the sub prop is like out of control or something like that but I've said it a couple times, John. I think the body triangle is the new leg kick. Like, people don't know what to do with this new body triangle back control thing that we've been seeing from these grapplers lately. 
And that could be what we see here. Like Zalal could be a guy that Blackshear just kind of climbs the tree or rips him to the ground one time, and then he never gets off his back. There goes the round. You know what I mean? So we could easily see a decision in this spot. I don't know what to exactly expect from Blackshear taking such a big jump up in competition, but I like everything that I see, and it does seem like a put-up-or-shut-up spot from Zalal. I don't necessarily like when guys are, are facing the chopping block and switch weight classes at that point, trying to find a way to get that win. So I'm kind of with you here. I think I'm going to lean on the dog or pass side of things. I just can't trust the lol at this point. I understand anybody wanting to jump on that side, but there's too many too many good things I see, I think, from DeMond Blackshear, and I think he can in, really impose that grappling game in this spot. I, I don't expect him to get outmoved or outworked by Yusef Zalal. And that's usually kind of the thing that we want to rely on, right? A guy with good footwork that stays on the outside, he's hard to hit. That's not going to stop Demond Blackshear from, from rushing in there, crashing the pocket, closing the distance, and, and forcing this thing to the mat. So, all right, John and I in agreement there. We're thinking dog on Demond Blackshear looks interesting. Next, fight up. We're going to go ahead and talk about the ladies. My girl, Angie over Kill Hill, another one of these uh, perennial underdogs that I just have a soft spot for. It's probably the cosplay, John. It's probably the cosplay. I love Angie over Kill Hill. She's fun on Twitter, too. She's one of those fighters that'll get back to you and, and, and chirp at you and talk with you on social media and stuff like that. So love everything about her. But she is getting dangerously close to a 500 record here, folks. 13 and 12, 8 and 2 for Lupe Godinez. And I got it, you know, I got a gripe for a minute, John, because the UFC, ESPN, you know, all of us that go back and do our tape study, we go back and rewatch these fights over and over and over. It is such a pain in my ass that they have Lupita Godinez listed as Lupi Godinez officially on ESPN. Because if you're doing your tape study and can't figure out for the life of you why you can't find Lupita Godinez fights, it's because for whatever reason, They've got her listed as Loopy on ESPN. So you have to search by the nickname to fight her. Pisses me off every single Loopy Gudinez fight week. Anyway, <laughs> Angela Hill, you guys know all about Angie, right? Strong Muay Thai, likes the clinch, big knees, but she really fights to the level of her competition. The split decisions, dear God, poor Angie is cursed. She's never won a split decision in her life. <laughs> She's incapable of getting the nod in a close fight. Lupita Gutinez, on the other hand, is just one of these up-and-coming, powerful little monsters. I mean, heavy grappling top game, very positionally sound offensive grappling, active ground and pound to get her opponents to open up, and then she's got a tight squeeze on her. She likes to attack those positions if you make a mistake. She beat Carnelosi to a pulp. She likes that arm triangle. We all love Lupita Gutinez. We know she's going to be a moneymaker moving forward. Uh, 5.37 takedowns per 15 minutes, 46% accuracy. If Loopy wants you on the mat, you're going to the mat. Now, Angela Hill has a 76% takedown defense rating. Kind of feel like that lies a little bit. I, we see her on the ground so often. It's kind of hard to believe that she's got a 76% takedown defense when you actually look at the numbers. You know, she gave up three in her last fight to Verna Janjaroba, another just really powerful woman for this weight class, someone who will just drag you to the mat. I think Loopy can do the same thing. Uh, she's minus 330 right now on Superbook Sports, plus 270 for Angela Hill. It's been all steam. As soon as they opened up this line, Loopy got the money. And John, I, I have a hard time making a case for my girl Angela Hill in this fight. I know Angela Hill can strike from range and distance, 
but only if Loopy lets her. <laughs> I think Loopy's going to crash the pocket, pin her up against the fence, scoop her legs out, put her on the ground. Even if she can't get anything off with the ground and pound or the submissions or anything like that, she's going to win those minutes. And I think this is a spot where the UFC can get a good recognizable name here on Loopy Gudinez's record. And it's a 120-pound catch weight. I kind of feel like that favors Loopy as well. I don't know, John. What, what do you think on this one? Yeah, you mentioned the uh, Angie's never won a split decision in her life. Well, fortunately for her, she's not going to win a split decision here because it ain't going to split decision. It's loopy season all day. Um, I mean, I just think like even in the striking, I think it's competitive. Like, you know, Angie has the Muay Thai base. She's a decent boxer. She'll throw in volume. But you mentioned a key thing that I think is like, yes, Angela Hill's been improving her takedown defense over the last few years. You mentioned it's like 76%. But that's most most of her good takedown defense comes in open space. What Godinez likes to do is pressure her against the cage. Like you mentioned, once she pressures her against the cage, Angela Hill's not going to have any resistance to those takedowns. Godinez is going to pull her to the mat at will. Um, I, I think Godinez is is well on her way to being easily a top 10 fighter in this division. And I don't think Angela Hill stops that. I agree with you. She's a great personality. I'm a fan of Angela Hill. I think she should probably have a job lined up behind the desk in the UFC because that's how good she is. Um, But in terms of this matchup, I mean, like I said, it's loopy season here for me. I was waiting for my guy Real Deal Prime in the chat with the wrestling rules. Anytime we get a hard-nosed wrestler that's got a shot to win their fight just by powering through it the way these wrestlers do, he always jumps in the chat. And I was waiting for you, Real Deal, on this one. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, John. And I love Angie. I do hope she gets that commentary gig behind the desk. I think she would suit that role very, very well. But it's hard to see her winning this fight, honestly. And as much as I would love to see her (laughs) win a split decision, I think you nailed it. I've been, I look for these spots where these fighters fight close and you can expect it to get to a split. I have a hard time seeing this one getting to a split. Like she's going to have to be extremely competitive for 10 full minutes of this fight. Even if she were to land like a knockdown or have a big knee or something like that. I don't see her doing that two rounds back to back. I, I think this is going to be unanimous decision, and and I think it's loopy all day. I think she's a, a valuable parlay piece. I have no problem. Any way you want to take a piece of loopy, go for it. Agreed. All right. Next up, folks, we have got Ode Osborne taking on Tyson Nam. This is an interesting fight here to me because Ode Osborne is a guy who I've had a rough relationship with. When he first got to the UFC, I thought that he was maybe a little bit under uh, under appreciated. Uh, you know, I wanted to go to war with Ode a couple times, backed him, and then I decided to jump ship for some reason. I kind of feel like he was reaching a little bit. You know, the uh, the Manal Cape spot where he got the flying knee KO, which I feel like was just a little unfair to Ode. He wasn't out all the way in that fight. Felt like a little bit of a quick stoppage. But like you look at the names on his record in the UFC and. Uh, he lost a cop and Kelleher. Really no shame in either of those. But the Jerome Rivera, Zaruk Adeshev, CJ Vergara. Like, I, I respect CJ. I respect the hell out of CJ. But I bet Zaruk Adeshev against, uh, against him last time because he just has a couple of holes in his game. He gets tired. He's so big for the weight class. He slows down the longer the fight goes on. If you can get somebody that can handle that offensive power coming from him, and hang in that fight, he's able to turn the table. He'll be able to turn the tables on Ode deeper in the fight. But he's a thinker, John. 
He came out and the Zaruka Dashev fight, my whole thought behind that, the game plan was you put this guy on the back foot and he struggles. He can't fight quite as well off the back foot. And he knew Zaruk was going to do that coming in. So he set up a gorgeous counter hook back in up and knocks the guy clean out in the first round. That's the kind of thing that makes me want to jump back on the train because you're like, okay, like you saw your own weakness, the weakness that I saw that I bet against you for, and you went, I can use that here and found a way to win. His devastating power at this weight class is something that can't be underestimated. Five-inch reach advantage here in this spot. Tyson Nam, folks. 38 years old. He's been around forever. One of the staples of this division. But he hasn't fought since his split decision loss to Matt Schnell in 2021. Now, older fighters. Younger fighters, when they have these longer layoffs, I almost always assume it's going to be a benefit. You get that time in. You know, you're learning new tricks of the trade. You just get to go to war with your gym mates. Young fighters will improve with these long layoffs. Older fighters... I mean, some of them, if you've got injury concerns and layups, you know, the time off can keep you relevant, that kind of thing. But Tyson Nam is a completed product. I don't think we're going to see new wrinkles to the game of Tyson Nam. And this guy is a 30-year-old power puncher in this weight class who is essentially reliant on finishing the fight with his hands. He's low volume. He looks for power shots with a 31% striking accuracy. We saw Sam Alvey last week. We're seeing him again this week. Like that's that's what Tyson Nam is to me. So John, I think Tyson Nam is more than capable of clipping and knocking out Ode Osborne, but I really think that's the only way he wins this fight. I've got a hard time seeing him do that for a full 15 minutes. Maybe if Ode gets tired from, you know, trying to keep a higher pace and not being able to get Nam out of there, he slips on a banana peel and gets clipped later in the fight. Uh, this is a stay away for me. I don't want to lay minus 245 on Ode Osborne, but this is a favorite or pass spot in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, I really don't have a ton to, to add there. You know, you covered a lot of great points about the Ode Osborne side. Like his finishing ability cannot be understated. Nine of his last 10 fights have ended inside the first round. This dude is a finisher by nature, and he's a kill or be killed style of fighter typically as well. So, of course, Tyson Nam might be able to catch him, put him out, but I doubt it, man. I'm, I mean, if, if Ode Osborne stands there and trades with him, I even think in that scenario, like say he doesn't look to grapple at all, he just wants to stand and trade. I still think Osborne doesn't get knocked out here. He's just so much faster. He, yeah. He'll be able to evade a lot of those counters from Tyson Nam, a guy that doesn't put a lot of volume out there that's typically waiting to look for the big, powerful counter shot. I just don't think it's going to materialize here against Ode Osborne. So I think Ode Osborne could finish uh, Tyson Nam as well. Um, I think he could win by decision, especially if he lands a takedown or two and just takes the easy way out. You know, it could get a little bit dicey down the stretch. Osborne typically doesn't have a great gas tank when he is forced, uh, you know, to go 15 minutes as we saw in that CJ Vergara fight. But, um, either way, man, I think it's Osborne here. Like you said, I don't think you can bet him at this price because there is a little bit of variance here with two powerful, um, hitters in the flyweight division, but I do think Osborne gets his hand raised, uh, Probably not a bet for me. I'll wait for the props to drop. If there's any uh, big discrepancy there, then maybe look to uh, bet a prop on Osborne, but no no action for me so far. Okay. All right. I hear you there. I think we're mostly in agreement there on that fight, and I'm going to be interested to see what they do with the total on this one because I do have kind of a sneaky feeling that 
Maybe Odie gets out of that first round in this one. Maybe it takes a little bit longer because our guy, Tyson Nam, has, for the most part in his career, been pretty damn durable. So I, I could see this fight maybe lasting a little bit longer and not being that one-round barn burner that we're kind of used to seeing at this point from Odie Osborne. All right, everybody. Next up, we have got Gabriel Benitez taking on Charlie Ontiveros. <laughs> poor, poor Mowgli. Poor Gabriel Benitez. Like this guy has, he went from being the hardest kicker in AKA <laughs> to no one respects the kicking power. He is one and four in his last five, KO'd in three of those four losses, but he's getting a massive step down in competition here, John. This is that, this is that shit or get off the pot spot, right? Like the, the UFC is telling him, okay. We know you fought some unexpected, you know, up and coming contenders, the Onama fight, like, but we're giving you Charlie Ontiveros. If you want to stay in the UFC, you got to get by Charlie Ontiveros. He is desperate for a win coming into this fight. I mean, this guy has insanely hard kicks. The inside leg kick, I cringe every time I watch him land that thing. It is so hard. He's got big power hooks. The way he rips the body is just vicious. The problem is it seems like he kind of wilts when his opponents don't go away. Like he hits so viciously hard when his opponents take it and stay in the game. He just kind of mentally seems to break and check out on himself a little bit. It's really hard to know where his head is at coming off of this run that he's been on. I can't imagine trying to jump back in the cage after taking multiple ass beatings in a row that way. Charlie Ontiveros, 11 and 8. I mean, he's fighting at 155, made his UFC debut at 185. You know, dropping down two weight classes from that short notice opportunity from Kevin Holland. Honestly, this guy's kicking attack is fantastic. The legs of Charlie Ontiveros are something. He almost knocked out Garcia in round one with the freaking axe kick that he threw right off the hop in round one. He is incredibly explosive. And at range, he can hurt some people. But he's a turtle, man. He's got nothing off of his back. You take this guy down, you put him on the mat. He doesn't have any idea what to do. There's no get-up game. There's no urgency. He'll throw up an arm bar or two, fish for a Kamara. But if, if he doesn't get that, he's done. He just kind of throws in the towel. Charlie Ontiveros is going to have a ridiculous seven-inch reach advantage here in this spot. 25% takedown defense. Man, I, if, if Benitez just wanted to get back in the win column, Russell. But John, I don't know. I don't know if Benitez knows how to wrestle. Like the way this guy fights, I have a hard time believing he's going to come out and he's going to actually try to put on some type of a grappling heavy game plan here. We're going to see a kickboxing match. And because of that, Charlie's going to get his opportunity to try and land something crazy. This one should be fun. I'm thinking violence, but at the same time, like I go Gabriel Benitez has got to win this fight, John. It's got to be Gabriel Benitez here. Am, am I crazy for thinking that the favorite snaps his uh, skid here and gets back on the winning path at minus 350? <laughs> You're definitely not crazy. Um, I had to look it up because I'm like, has Benitez even landed a takedown in the UFC? He it looks like he landed one against Humberto Band and I back in 2018. That is the only takedown he's ever landed in the UFC. So unfortunately, I don't think he's going to come in with a, in here wearing a singlet with the wrestling game plan. Um, but I don't think he needs to to win this fight. You know, you mentioned there are, you know, some some uh, uh, knockout possibilities here on the Ontivera side. But, I mean, the dude, 
he's worse than wit in terms of taking a punch. He has so much quit in him. He's been knocked out in eight. All eight of his professional losses have come by knockout. I think he's obviously going to have the reach advantage, but skill for skill, Gabriel Benitez runs circles around this guy in the striking department. And obviously the durability is starting to become a concern or really already is on the Benitez side, especially over his last few fights. But I just keep going back to like the skill set here. And it's, it's pretty widely um, in favor on the, on the Benitez side. So yes, maybe on Tavares can kick, uh, land a couple big kicks early, but outside of that, like he really, he just has to put, Benitez out clean here in order to win this fight. And I don't think he does that. So even if he has a little bit of early success, I think Benitez eventually gets to him and puts this guy out for his ninth, uh, uh, his ninth professional knockout loss, which is honestly um, at that point, I mean, you should probably hang it up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he finally got his chance. He got the big call up. You got to do what you can with that opportunity. And the UFC has given him a chance here, but I mean, Gabriel Benitez is a, uh, He's a tough customer for this kid to try to turn it around and get that win. Like I said, if you're hey, if you're playing DFS and you need that last, you know, underdog punt spot, go for it. Charlie Hontiveros has that round one upside, but damn man, I I don't expect to see it go that way. I think if uh, Gabriel Benitez even takes his time just a little bit, if he decides to go to a grappling game plan, which is in his back pocket somewhere, we know it's there. Um, I absolutely think that he should be able to get this thing done and look like the minus 300 favorite that he is. Um, you know, <laughs> Wani in the chat, I know you are just so desperate for me to acknowledge you. I am so sorry your mom didn't hug you more as a child. We have two rules in this uh, show here, and one of them is no racism, sexism, hate speech or any kind. The other one is no spamming. You can talk all the shit you want, homie. Bring it. I don't give a fuck what you think. But you don't spam my chat. You got a five-minute timeout. If you spam my chat, you get blocked. That's how it works. The rest of it, honestly, couldn't care less. Pounce hand, buddy. We'll catch you later. All right. Moving on. Back to the show, everybody. We have got 234 live viewers. Thank you all so much for hanging out and spending your evening with me and my guy here, John Kelly, DF. S, stick around. After I finish breaking down the uh, fight card with John here, I'm going to be talking about the upcoming Aries Amped fight card, which is going to be commentated by none other than your guy, Cody Saftik. He's going to be there in person for this regional scene fight. And I helped uh, Spectation Sports set the odds for this fight, so they're going to have betting available for it. And it's got some familiar names. You guys are definitely going to want to hang out and check that out a little bit afterwards at the end of the show. Real quick, let's hear a couple words from our sponsors, then we'll be right back to wrap this bad boy. everybody welcome back to the diehard mma podcast breaking down ufc san diego with john 
Kelly. And we've got a uh, first time commenter in the chat here, Greg Conero, San Juan Flores. Okay. Guess he knows. I guess he knows the guy from John Greco. Thank you so much for joining the show. Appreciate you tuning in live and hanging out, buddy. Always nice to see new commenters here on the Die Hard MMA podcast. Next fight up, we're going to talk about Lucas. Brezki taking on Martin Boudet, and I am sure I messed up Lucas's last name, but that is tough to pronounce right there with the Z mixed in that way. I like this fight, and a lot of you are going to be jumping at the thought of Dana White Contender Series fade, right? Dana White Contender Series fade. Which one? <laughs> no, that's the thing, John. I don't. Do you know the angle? Do you do you know the the exact? Uh, specified angle for the contender series fade that i use i don't uh let me guess though so i would say it's probably somebody coming in making their ufc debut as a big favorite coming off a finish on contenders Am close. I close close so it has to be their ufc debut straight after contender series so no fights in between and then it has to be them favored over a ufc caliber fighter so anytime after ah. their UFC debut, the angle's over. It no longer applies. It's only that very first fight that they are in the UFC. Their opponent must have had some kind of UFC-level competition. Whether they won, whether they lost, none of that matters. If they fought in the UFC prior to facing this contender series debutante and they're the underdog, the angle applies. So both these guys are coming off the contender series. Now, Lucas is making his debut off the contender series, so... That would put the Dana White Contender Series fade into play on Martin Boudet. However, Boudet is massively favored in this spot, so it does not apply. It's only betting on the UFC caliber guy as an underdog. So I'm a little bit bummed. I was hoping maybe we would get the fade here in this spot because I, I kind of like Martin Boudet. I went to war with him in his last fight, I think, and uh, he looks pretty solid i mean the guy he survived the contender series fade in his own debut last time um facing barnett uh which you know that was pretty much a layup for him to be able to do so he's a big classic plodding heavyweight likes to move forward presses you up against the cage he's got strong underhooks big powerful clinch knees to the body which i love to see and i guess he's a bjj brown belt i mean not something you see a lot used from him but always nice to have that in your back pocket he's more than willing to just ride the body lock john and win minutes grind that clock off i like boudet he's serviceable in my opinion now lucas on the other hand this guy he's eight one and one and he's a beast this is a Big man. He is much more of your, uh, you know, maybe future power heavyweight style, the chiseled body, that kind of, he's, he's got the ability, I think, to have a much more uh, imposing physique. He had the weird rear naked choke situation where Mark Smith stopped the fight and the guy was actually like going to defend the choke, but Mark thought he was tapping, so they called it. Kind of interesting to me that they didn't give him a second shot on Contender Series or something like that instead of just putting him straight on into the UFC, but let's be fair. He was dominating that fight. He was probably going to beat the brakes off of Potter, and, and if he didn't get that choke, you know, TKO him in that position or something. He was in control of that fight. He's got a decent jab on him. I don't mind that, but he throws naked leg kicks. That's something that a better fighter will be able to counter. He does also hit, swing from the hips. He's one of these guys that's got that tall man defense. He'll swing from low and leave himself completely open to counter punches. He's got heavy grappling pressure from top. He's got good ground and pound. That seems to be his best tool that I've been able to see from his regional scene footage. 
man, you go back and you watch his uh, his fight with Michael Pilarowski. Holy crap, that guy grabbing the fence. He was on his way down, John. He had a bad fence grab, got away with it. The dude drops to a knee, and then he hits him in the head with an illegal knee that doesn't get called. Like, he got away with everything <laughs> in that fight and uh, made it to the UFC. So if you're looking for sketchiness, uh, you know, shout out our guy Lou. This is that yambag yeah. spot. This 100%. is 100%. This is the yambag spot because this guy absolutely is going to do whatever it takes to get off the fence, cheat, and, and try and get the win. Hey, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. But he's going to have a one inch reach advantage. I, I don't like much else in this fight besides maybe the point deduction prop, man. I, Martin Boudet, like I said, very serviceable, uh, but I am worried that maybe he'll get kind of out-muscled by some of these bigger, more athletic heavyweights, which Lucas might be. I think he should win this fight, but I also think it might play out a little bit closer than this line suggests. I don't want to lay minus 250 on Martin Boudet. Um, I'm not ready to trust Lucas at plus 210, given what we've seen from him so far, but I wouldn't be shocked if he gets his hand raised. Do you have a good feel on this one? This is not a fight that I'm overly comfortable with at the moment. Yeah, you kind of stole my thunder on the point deduction point deduction oh, i was no. actually gonna shout i was gonna shout lou out as well with the yam bags he's always looking to uh, bet the yam bags this is the fight because not just on the brzezki side but martin boudet got a point deduction right or was it barnett someone got a point deduction in that in that barnett fight as well um so it's not just on the brzezki side so i figured i'd point that out but um yeah i, I definitely I'm not high on really either of these guys. I do think Bidet has more of a skill set that translates at least to the UFC level. Uh, Brzezowski, uh actually, after winning that Potter fight, it got overturned to no contest because he did fail a drug test just like Josh Quinlan, got suspended for uh, nine months, and they paid like a $750 fine, which is like the standard uh, coming off contenders. Um, but regardless, I don't think Brzezowski is all that talented. You know, even in that Potter fight, like Potter was having success out in space against this guy striking. Not that Bidet is like this excellent striker, but I also think Bidet is going to be the stronger fighter in the clinch. He's he's like cage push master. Like this dude mm -hmm. can grind on Brzezowski against the cage. And the thing about Brzezowski is like his cardio is not great. Yes, he did get the third round finish in the Potter fight, but he was slowing and he was gassed and he was on steroids. So <laughs> uh, I, I don't think his cardio is that good. The regional tape, like he fought a lot of super low, low level competition, like you alluded to. And yes, he looked okay in a lot of those spots, but I just don't think that he's really going to translate to the UFC level. Not that Martin Boudet is like that massive step up to your point. I probably don't want to see him as a minus two fifty favorite, but I do think just the overall well-roundedness of his game, he's probably got Lucas, uh, Brzezowski covered here, but I think this could just be your typical heavyweight slop fest that ends up going over whatever the over is. I'm assuming they won't put this at one and a half. Maybe they do. If they put it at one and a half and it's not too juiced, I'll, I'll probably look to play an over there. Um, but honestly, even over two and a half, if they give you big plus money on over two and a half, I don't mind, uh, you know, if you just want some action on this fight in what should be probably a pretty boring match. Agreed. Agreed. I like it, um, especially if it's at a one and a half. I, I don't know that either of these guys is necessarily going to get an early finish. I do think we see a sloppy heavyweight fight. If they give us a one and a half that's even remotely playable, that's probably the move here on this one. That cage control from Boudet, like we talked about, Lucas, there's going to be holes. Somebody who is 
somebody who is quick and snappy is going to take advantage of those. And I think he's going to get put out by a much more athletic striker. I just don't know if Boudet is the guy. And even if he's got that tool set, he just doesn't seem to go for it. And that's something that, you know, I've been kind of trying to work on recently is when you look at these fighters that have a clear path to victory, but they refuse to use them. The Sean Strickland <laughs> angle, I guess we'll call it. Like you could grapple all day if you wanted to to win, but is he ever going to actually do that? I, I don't know if we see Boudet even try to implement that kind of a game plan. I, I kind of expect him to do his thing and go for that seatbelt and press his guy up against the cage. Oh. Okay. Well, we are seeing eye to eye there on that one. John, it makes me feel good, especially with the uh, the rough run that I have been on lately. It always makes me feel good with somebody much smarter than I am comes on the show and we end up lining up on some, uh, some of the same sides. So hopefully that means good reads and hopefully good caches here for, uh, for Saturday. <laughs> absolutely all right moving on up i like this fight i like this fight a lot john yasmin Jeregi taking on i also think yasmin lucindo like i believe that is also a yasmin it's just spelled a little bit differently so these ladies i had so much fun watching the tape on this fight john these ladies are vicious both of them are fantastic Jeregi is a killer she is coming to us from combate she's eight and oh undefeated and just brutalized a couple of her opponents man when she gets people hurt her killer instinct flips the switch and she flurries on people she has them hurt on the ropes she's got pop in that right hand she has nasty grounded pound she is fast that's one of the things that i also noted is you don't have time to realize that you're hurt and she'll hit you with a four punch combo. Like she is so quick. Apparently her BJJ coach is her husband. She has a pretty good sprawl. And when she does get into ground scrambles, she always finds her way to top position. Like she knows well enough to get to top position and then go to work with her elbows and things like that. I, I like Juregi a lot. Now her opponent, Lucindo here, 13 and four, she is 20 years old. And she has got, you know, she's got the edge and experience by a decent margin here. And she's only 20. She's got nine more fights of experience and she's 20 years old. Like that blows my mind. Now we have seen some of these, uh, you know, Brazilian prospects. Obviously they've got those super extremely padded records. But then when they make the jump to the UFC level, it just doesn't matter. They're able to put it all together. Uh, Talia Santos is one that jumps to mind where it doesn't look all that great. And then when they make it to the UFC, they're just absolute monsters within a fight or two. She's only a BJJ blue belt. That's a little concerning for me. She's another one of these fighters that forces grappling situations. She seems a little uncomfortable on the feet. She kind of charges her way in face first, reaching for the body lock. She's very hittable. But once she has you in her clinch, she is nasty. Her shoulder pressure on top is something I would never want to experience. Like She absolutely grinds on her opponents. She's another one of these fighters that knows how to ride the back, threatens with ground and pound, opens up opportunities for submissions. She's got a win over a former UFC fighter in Sarah Frota. So some decent competition level for this girl. I side on the Jeregi side of things. However, I have a hard time counting Lucindo out of this fight. Lucindo is, she's extremely talented. She's got a great base. 
but we see 20 year old fighters do 20 year old fighter things. That's the one thing that kind of keeps jumping back into my brain here, John, is as much as she looks like she is ready for the big show, these young fighters can slip up and make mistakes and it takes them a couple years to get their feet wet. And if she is as bad on the feet as she has seemed in some of her regional scene footage, Draggy's going to hurt her until she gets the grappling going. Now, she could win this fight. It's going to be like massive edge on the feet versus massive edge on the ground. So if Lucindo gets it to the mat, I have no doubt that she can grind away a win in this spot. But I think I'm going to have to side with Jeregi going in at least pre-flop. One that I'm probably not going to have a big investment in because I have too many questions about you know both women. But this should be one hell of a fun fight. What do you think here, John? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think this is an exciting fight of two fighters that I honestly had never heard of. You know, when you see names that you typically don't recognize right off the bat, automatically you assume, oh, they must be contender series fighters because almost every like short notice or uh, debutante typically comes from contenders, at least nowadays. Um, and so then looking into it, obviously they're they're not from contenders. So you don't know much about them. That adds a level of variance to this. So typically you see a big favorite, low-level women's MMA. I'm almost always going to side with the value being on the underdog. But mm -hmm. then I went into the tape and I really like, uh, I, I don't even know how to say her name. War, Warega? Is that how you say it? Warega? I think it's Drake. I have no clue. Okay. I'm so bad with <laughs> pronunciations. Shout out to my guy, Mike. I grew up with a guy named Mike Draghi, and that's the only reason I say the name that way is it looks almost exactly the way that he spelled it. Now, she is from uh you know she, she's latin so like i'm not sure that that is actually the correct correct pronunciation someone is uh okay uncle wheezy saving us here in the chat saying haregi so it, it's okay. more with an h haregi i will I go ahead and correct that. that thank you wheezy for yeah, bailing thanks, us out bro. but mike if you're listening <laughs> love you buddy you're a good one haven't seen you in a couple years hope you're doing well all right sorry john go right ahead <laughs> yeah yeah so i like i like haregi i thought she was pretty impressive obviously the level of competition really on both sides is not great um but uh i did think it was interesting too there was one fight uh the mckenna something mckenna a few years back she fought at casino del sol in tucson arizona i used to play poker there so fun fact there that was kind of cool when i was doing tape it brought me back to the uh, tucson arizona days but uh i, I do think harega is going to have a massive striking advantage she's super powerful on the feet um those elbows dude those elbows are really her probably her best skill set like she has some nasty elbows that she'll look for in the clinch if she does end up on top somehow even though she doesn't really wrestle but when she does end up on top she's going to look to rain those elbows as well uh, you mentioned the punching combinations like this girl has real speed and power on the feet and so far i think has shown pretty solid takedown defense as well and that's going to be tested here against lucindo who you said um you know she started she went pro in 2017 she's only 20 years old like so she went pro at 15 years old. Like, I, it just seems crazy to me that, that that's like allowed. Um, but we've seen that out of a couple uh, young Brazilian prospects. Uh, usually 16 is the cutoff. I don't know if she was 16 or what, but regardless, uh, very young, um, definitely experienced in terms of the regional footage. Uh, some some low level competition you mentioned. She did fight Sarah Frodo, who was 0 uh, 2 in the UFC before being cut and ended up losing her next two fights as well. So even though she was UFC level, it's not like she was um, a great UFC level fighter. Um, no. But I do think Lucindo has you know solid takedowns. You mentioned the control grappling seems to be to be pretty solid here. Though my my concern is I don't know if she's going to be able to get the takedown so easily as she did against a lot of these uh, fighters on the regional scene. So I got to lean with the Haregi side just because I think the striking 
advantage is going to be so massive. And I do think for the most part, she keeps the fight standing. So I'm going to go with Haregi. Um, Haregi, I don't know. I, I'll say decision just because typically, um, you know, the, all those knockouts don't really translate once you start fighting up in terms of uh, the level of competition. But um, she does have real power. So I wouldn't like try to chase a decision prop or anything like that. Uh, just because I do think uh, it could go either way in terms of knockout or decision, but I do think Haregi wins. Okay. Yeah, I hear you. Completely agree. Completely understand. I wouldn't get too fancy with the decision prop just because we're not quite sure that she is UFC caliber yet. You know what I mean? Her Your point of when fighters take that jump up to UFC competition, yes, we see them back off of their, uh, their KO, their finish ability, but we're not convinced that Lucindo is UFC caliber at this point yet. So Haregi absolutely is live to get that finish here in this spot. I like her. I like her a lot. Um, I don't like her enough to put my money on it though. Like I still need to see it. <laughs> so as much as I'm saying, I like her a lot guys. I don't know that I'm going to be betting her. I don't know that I'm going to be parlaying her. I think Lucindo has some serious upside and we have seen on combate, we've seen some uh, some soccer momish type of matchmaking done up before. Looking at the girls that she's fought, it seems like she's fought a decent level of competition, but I still have some questions about that as well. So I'm not ready to you know declare her the next man off your or anything like that. I just want to sit back. I want to watch it. I want to see it. But I expect this fight to be a scrap. Like whoever has got control of this fight is going to look to do damage in their discipline, and I, I think this one's going to be a fun back and forth matchup. All right, moving along to the next women's fight. Apparently, UFC San Diego is ladies' night, folks. <laughs> so Nina Nunez taking on Cynthia Calvillo. Yet another transplanted UFC fight here for this one. This whole card, like, did they have, like, six fights on this card before the other ones fell apart? Because all of these transplanted fights have uh, filled out this uh, UFC San Diego card. Man, we have talked about this one as well before uh, <laughs> the brain wants to be on nina nunez john nina nunez 10 and 7 and her opponents just in free fall cynthia calvillo has not looked good recently she has you know the, the quitting on the stool john that's what gets me like i know nina nunez hasn't fought in a long time i know she's coming off back-to-back -back losses there's a potential that her game plan her style in general that the mma world has just passed her by she's she was close to being competitive or being ranked or, or being a contender before she took the break you know what i mean and, and since then it's been leaps and bounds crazy improvements from the women in these fighting classes and she hasn't been around for it she's been you know being a coach for her wife amanda she's been being a mom and like if she hasn't evolved at all we've seen that her game plan is you know it's a little stagnant but cynthia calvillo has been nothing but a disappointment here she's one and four in her last five if you count the uh the grappling match with Danielle Kelly, if you just want to go with the UFC fights, then she's won three and one. Like she has not looked good since 2019 against Courtney Casey. Like I know she damn near killed Marina Rodriguez when she decided to flip the switch, but I don't like how she's looked against anybody else. The competition has been solid though. Jessica, Caitlin Chukagian, Jessica Andrade, Andrea Lee, like those things, these women are at the top of the class for a reason. So I understand this is kind of a break. This is kind of a step down. Somebody who may have some ring rust. She's got decent boxing. 
If she gets back to her wrestling, that's really where her bread and butter was. But at 125, she just doesn't have that strength and power advantage that she had when she was cheating at 115. <laughs> so that's that's my concern, is that if she can't bully Nina Nunez around the cage, then we're going to be standing. And Nina's actually got some decent striking on her. She's actually got some heavy hands on her. So I can't go to war with Cynthia Calvillo after she quit on the stool after round two against KGB. I don't know where her head is at. If this is skill for skill, if we erase everything, no records, these are two 0-0 fighters going in there to fight each other, yeah, I'll favor Cynthia Calvillo for you. She probably should win. This is very reminiscent of last week when I lost money betting against Jeff Neal. I don't know what it is, John, but anytime I look at a fighter and I'm like, you know what? They're probably done. We've seen them quit. We've seen them chill out. We've seen them cool off. I think that's probably the time to go against them because I don't see them rebounding. They come right back. <laughs> they bounce back their very next fight, and they cost me money. I have not been good with timing when those fighters will fall off the cliff that way and you know, just kind of put your boot to their throat and say they're done, it's over. I can't seem to do well with those spots. That's the vibe I'm getting here from Cynthia Calvillo, and because I'm a little untrustworthy at the moment, I am not going to be jumping all over Nina Nunez because... If Cynthia Calvillo comes in motivated, if she has patched up those problems, if her mentality is straight, she probably wins this fight. Yeah, I mean, I could see that angle for sure, but I actually like your uh, your Nina angle. Like, I, oh. I, I honestly think, like, I, I was close to betting her. They were booked back at, what was it, UFC 50, Vegas 58, I think was when they were originally supposed to fight. Um, I was going to bet Nina by decision prop. Um, I, I think Nina is the better striker. And I think this fight is mainly going to play out in the striking realm just because Cynthia Calvillo, like you mentioned, yes, she does have solid, you know, grappling if she's able to get the fight to the ground. And that's mm -hmm. the key here because in her last couple fights, not only has she been unable to do that when she doesn't have the strength advantage, her takedowns look like complete garbage. And then on top of that, there was multiple fights where it wasn't even really her main game plan, even in a fight where it's like, okay, you're clearly losing the striking exchanges. She was still trying to strike. She was not trying to go for takedowns. She was not trying to grapple. That's a huge red flag. Like if you're, if you're clearly losing and your corner's even telling you you're losing, and then you continue to do the same thing when you have a massive advantage on the mat, like that's a massive red flag to me. I just don't think the strength is really there um it, it, she's just so matchup dependent and honestly now mm -hmm. i think there's a lot less matchups that she can look good against and now you're seeing her at a favorite price tag and then you mentioned the last thing is like we've seen her quit before like i don't know man and the reason why nunez is not just like a smash bet in this spot is because there's red flags on the nunez side as well she's like 37 years old now you mentioned a new mom not just a new mom but for this uh man nunez camp she was literally living at the gym. She was living at the gym, meaning Nunez was basically being a single mom, taking care of the baby nonstop. She wasn't able to fully be in camp. You know what I mean? So um, that's obviously concerning, especially at her age. But I just keep going back to the Calvillo side, like all of the red flags on her side. How can you make her a, a and really even a small favorite in this matchup. Like, I just can't get there personally. I don't hate a Nunes bet, um, but I think there's just better spots on the card. I don't mind passing on this either. Uh, we'll see if I end up playing her uh, come Saturday. It's still early in the week, but yeah, I, I would lean Nunes value on the dog here. Maybe chase a Nunes by decision prop. Okay. I, I do think this fight goes the distance. I'll say that, John. I wouldn't mind 
you know, DraftKings has like the split decision props. I wouldn't mind that here because I have a feeling this one could play out relatively close. And I I disrespected Amanda Nunez. I really did with the way I was talking about Juliana Pena. And the fact that Nina Nunez is in that camp training with her, working with her, being one of the coaches, you know, working with the same bodies. You got to wonder if maybe our thought on she can't look that great off the layoff is maybe just a little bit wrong because Amanda Nunez looked fantastic. Now, obviously, Nina is not Amanda, but she's also not a scrub. She was a ranked fighter before she took a break, and her takedown defense was damaged by Tatiana Suarez, of all people, who was the most prolific takedown artist this division has ever seen. So I'm kind of considering cutting her a break there. John, I've gone back and forth on this fight. My new rule is if I go back and forth, I'm not betting it. I'm not confident enough to put my money on something if I can't pick a side and stick with it consistently. So for me, this is a complete pass. I like Nina. I would love to see the dog come through. I think I'm going to pick Cynthia Calvillo. Like if anybody out there cares about the actual pick that I make, I'm going to say Cynthia Calvillo. I don't like it and I'm not betting it. So that's going to be where I think I settle on this one. And it'll be my fireball and popcorn fight, man. Going to go get a drink. I'm going to grab a couple shots. And we're just going to sit back and enjoy this one. Next fight up, Devin Brown Bear Clark taking on Azamat Mirzakhanov. I have Vietnam-level flashbacks from Azamat Mirzakhanov, John. I bet Tefon and Chukwi. It was so the Dana I. White Contender Series fade angle. And it was in the bag, man. It was in the bag. I hate his coaches. <laughs> he was j all he needed to do was go out there for round three and do exactly what he had been doing for rounds one and two. And he was going to chip away at Azamat Mirzakhanov and coast his way to an easy decision. And his coaches go out there and tell him to fight for the finish. His coaches go out there and tell him to get some and go to war with the power puncher and. He gets folded like a lawn chair. That was not fun for me. <laughs> so I have a hard time looking at this fight without feeling bad about it, man. Devin Clark, anybody who's been listening to the show for any amount of time knows that I am a massive Devin Clark hater. Not on a personal level, obviously. Nothing against the guy. Uh, but I do think that he is bottom tier, relatively speaking, for this division. You look at the guys who he has beaten. Mike Rodriguez, Dusko Todorov, or Darko Stozic, Decon Townsend, Alonzo Menafield, William Knight. He is scraping the bottom of the barrel in this division. He gets a loss or back-to-back -back losses, and then they give him somebody that's a, a step down, and he's able to go ahead and power through that. He's one of these guys that I think is going to be around as kind of a uh, kind of a measuring stick. You know, if you make it to the UFC, we'll we'll give you a shot or two. One of those shots is going to be Devin Brown Bear Clark. However, he did go ahead and move his camp out to Elevation, from what I understand. I think he's training with Elevation Fight Team at this point, which for somebody who's a primary grappler, likes to put a pace on people, you know, try and drain that gas tank and work in those takedowns. That's probably a good move. So as much as I'm not high on Devin Clark, I like the gym move. And he's going to have a size advantage here, John. And that's something I don't know that I ever thought that I'd say. I feel like he's a 185er with 205-pound thighs. Like That's that's what Devin Clark feels like to me. He's just got those running back quads that you know he can't quite cut down to 185 anymore because of. Azamat Merzikhanov is smaller than him. 
Devin Clark, now, okay, we got to wait for the faceoffs because the UFC has been screwy as all get out lately with these measurements. These guys that are supposed to be four inches shorter are actually the taller guys at faceoff. So let's wait and see. But per the numbers, he is two inches taller, and Devin Clark will also have a four inch reach advantage over Azmat Mirzakhanov. This guy's 11 0, undefeated. He's got big power, but he showed some gas ability in his last fight with Tefan and Chukwi. It looked like he was slowing down, it looked like the pace was getting to him. I have a real hard time backing anybody that shows off that kind of a gas tank as a favorite price tag, even if it's against somebody like, damn it, John, they're going to make me bet Devin Clark, aren't they? I feel like Devin Clark is live in this spot. This is like me doing self-therapy to get to why I'm backing Devin Clark. I haven't bet it yet, but I have this bad, awful, God, terrible feeling that Devin Clark is the side here in this fight. What are you doing on this one, John? How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, so I'm... Probably not going to get there, but I think if if you're saying I have to make a bet on this fight, it's clearly to me that Devin Clark is the side here. Um, Asmat Berzakhanov, he's another contender series guy. You mentioned 11-0 prospect. Honestly looked good early on in his career, and then he took a long layoff. He actually had a USADA suspension, uh, or was it USADA? He had some sort of doping suspension because he was supposed to, UFC wanted to bring him over like back in, 2018 or 2019 and he failed a drug test back then took a suspension that's why he had the long layoff and then the contender series fight and honestly i thought there was a clear drop off he looked a lot slower um he still has the hands of course but you mentioned the gas tank i think is still an issue um a lot of times on the regional scene yes he's got the boxing but then he'll mix in the wrestling he's not going to be able to do that against devin clark devin clark comes from a collegiate wrestling background you mentioned the size advantage for Clark as well um I don't I, I mean I know you talked a lot of smack about Devin Clark I don't I don't rate Devin Clark super highly but I I feel like I give him a little bit more respect um uh, I mean he's not like completely terrible he does have solid skill set um especially when you're I mean matchups are everything in the UFC and like this one it's like could he get killed on the feet Sure, Asmat Berzakhanov does have power, and when he throws that one-two, he's very quick with it. So can he knock out a guy like Devin Clark, who's been knocked out multiple times, who doesn't have the strongest chin? Absolutely. But my thing is, is that's the only, probably the only way that Merzakhanov wins this fight. Because I think minute winning and round winning potential, I think I got to favor the Clark side, because I think Clark could be the one wrestling with the better gas tank. You mentioned the camp change. Uh, to elevation fight team like I just think Clark um, is getting a little bit of disrespect in terms of this line against a guy who basically had the complete ass pull win against Tafon Njukwe like in a fight that he was getting exposed and it was clear to everybody that he was getting exposed in that fight and just because he lands a random flying knee now we're supposed to give him the respect against <laughs> like you said earlier against a guy who has a ton of UFC level experience so i gotta think that devin clark is the value side in this one um don't know if i'll get there myself but uh definitely a little bit tempted okay well i'm i'm very tempted i looked at this one and like i said it made me a little sick to my stomach but i i do have to ha give a little bit of credit like you mentioned to devin clark because man i thought alonzo menafield had him dead i thought alonzo menafield just needed one more good shot and the fact that he was able to dig deep and grind through, tie up that absolute monster of a human being, and drag him into the third round where he had some more success. Like, he he won that decision fair and square after nearly dying in round one. Now, Span got him in a guillotine choke. Anthony Smith also got him in a choke. Ion Kutalaba broke his face. Like, he busted his lower jaw and teeth out, and 
he still managed to make his way to the 15 minute belt. So we got to give at least a little bit of credit to this guy for being relatively durable. So if it's against the guy who we're not entirely sure is proven, yeah, as Matt Merzikhanov hit him with a flying knee, I, do we think that he's going to be able to just starch a guy like Devin Clark that can take a shot like that and then tie you up and force the grappling? Maybe, you know, maybe he just kills him with one big hit or quitter. But if he doesn't, I think I need to rely on the guy with the cardio, the gas tank, the profitable cha uh, camp change, in my opinion. Uh, I think Devin Clark is probably the side. It's dog or pass if I decide to bet it. And uh, real quick, good shout out from our guy, Boston Nick, in the chat. We do have deals here at Pub Sports Radio with uh, my bookie AG. And then, of course, uh, price picks. And we use promo code Pub Sports for everything. So if you guys need some alternative options there for your gambling, make sure you sign up there. Use promo code Pub Sports. And it's nice. Promo code Pub Sports everywhere. So if you're using any of our affiliate you know, links or anything like that, it's always going to be the same code there for you guys. All right. Everybody, if you haven't yet, smash the like button for me. We've got three more fights to get to, and this next one is a banger. Gerald GM3 Mearshart taking on Bruno Silva. Oh, baby. All right, let me just go ahead and preface this a little bit. I had some fun on Twitter this morning, <laughs> and I already tweeted out the way this fight's going to play for you. I've already tweeted my reaction. I said, I cannot believe that Gerald Mearshart just submitted Bruno with two minutes left in the fight. I've tagged it. I'm going to just let it sit, and we're going to come back to it on Saturday. John, <laughs> I am picking Bruno Silva to get this win here. I don't like the way that GM3 blocks punches with his face. I love the power of Bruno Silva. I love the ground and pound. This is one of the only people in the game that has come on record and said, I train my ground and pound. Like I work specifically for it. And you see it in his tape on the regional scene. When the fight hits the ground, he sleeps people within like one or two punches with his ground and pound. He is nasty on the mat. I love Bruno's game plan. I know he's coming off of a loss in his last fight, but a very competitive kickboxing match against Alex Pereira, one where, honestly, I thought he was going to get the brakes beaten off of him. He showed his toughness. He showed his durability. He hung in that fight much more impressively than I expected him to. And GM3 has been a guy that I am just not sold on. But that brings us back to the beginning of this breakdown. If I bet against GM3, he loses 13 minutes of the fight. And then he manages to win. <laughs> this man has cost me so much that it's not funny. Every single time I bet against this man, he finds a way to tap somebody. And it's always in the damn third round. So Gerald Mearshart by sub round three should be an auto bet for literally anybody if I say that his opponent is winning this fight. So the way I'm doing this, John, covering my bases, I can't be <laughs> wrong. Either Bruno Silva is winning this fight like I said he does, or I already tweeted that Gerald Mearshart pulls off the comeback sub. Now, from what I understand, Gerald Mearshart also recently just switched camps. So that is another thing for me where if you're taking a fighter who has some high-level skill set, obviously, you know, BJJ black belt, that kind of thing, and you remove yourself from a questionable camp, you know, Rufus Sport just kind of hasn't been doing what they used to do. Uh, not a bad thing. Right, not a bad, not a bad thing for him to get out of there and maybe go somewhere else. He's moved over to Sanford slash 
kill cliff, whichever way you want to, you know, describe them. So good bodies, good training partners to work with there. We could maybe see an improved version of Gerald Mearshart. The fact is this guy's always live for a finish. He's the round three king. I have a hard time seeing anything but maybe violence as a bet for me here on this fight, John. What about you? Yeah, first off, I like your strategy of, you know, you pick Silva, you build the case for Silva, but you have the tweet to fall back on. So if Silva wins by knockout, you just clip this, post the clip, victory right. lap it that way. If Mearshart pulls the sub, then just retweet the tweet and victory lap at that. I mean, you can't lose. John, and the best part is I said this to you in confidence, so nobody is ever going to know that I'm exactly. pulling that shit. I mean, so, just edit this part out of us talking to it. Home? Just use the part that you said he was going to knock him out, and there you go. GG. Um, <laughs> easy game. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard not to think that uh, Bruno Silva could find a knockout here. Mearshart's been knocked out multiple times. He's definitely a little bit chinny. If this gets stuck on the feet, I mean, Silva's got clear power. He's not the most technical guy, but you mentioned his explosiveness, his power. If he does get on top, the ground and pound as well. Um, and it wouldn't be shocking to see a little bit of of those type of grappling exchanges because Mearshart is a guy that's more than willing to pull guard. But it's like on the flip side, I'm not going to completely rule out Mearshart because like you said, you can never fully rule out Gerald Mearshart. He's one of the most dangerous submission grapplers on the UFC roster. It got like 19 wins by sub or something crazy like that. Um, like you, I don't think I'm going to bet a money line, definitely not going to bet a money line, but, uh, I, I would be interested in a violence prop depending on what the, uh, what the lines are or potentially a Silva KO one or something like that. We've seen Mearshart in his words that be sent to the shadow realm before. So I wouldn't be shocked if it happens again. So I'm going to lean with my guy, uh, Bruno, what is it? Built Blildado Silva. Bladado, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So I'm with you. I'm with you. I like Bruno. I like Bladado. Uh, one thing that does concern me just ever so slightly a little bit is the uh, three inch reach advantage for Gerald Mearshart. He has okay boxing. I mean, like it's nothing to write home about. It's not great. But if he comes out and plays this thing smart and tries to just kind of jab Bruno to death and then as Bruno maybe gets a little tired, does something crazy later on, I could see it. The, the thing is for me, Bruno's actually a BJJ black belt himself. And he fought a lot of, unless I'm mistaken. Now I'm remembering from like one of the first one or no, two times I, I went way back to like his regional scenes. Wasn't he fighting a bunch of Russians? Like, didn't this guy train his get up game and his takedown defense rather than, you know, using his BJJ offensively, almost Chuck Liddell style. So he could just wreck these wrestlers that were desperate to get him to the floor. Yeah, no, that's correct. He fought, I think, over an M1 Global, which is there. a heavy Russian uh, regional scene. But the only thing I'll say is, yes, he is a black belt. But he's kind of like a fake black belt. I mean, let's be honest. Like, the yeah. dude... And combine that with, like, the poor gas tank. Like, I, I would not be confident betting this guy. That's why I say if you are, it's it's got to be a prop here. But we've seen him out-grappled. Um, he was out-grappled a little bit in the Wellington-Termon fight. Um, I bet Wellington-Termon there. Obviously, didn't end. <laughs> and it was great. You're like, my guy's on top. He's landing takedowns. And then, boom, he's dead. Um, and, and that's the type of power that Silva does possess here. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say, uh, Bruno Silva gets the knockout, but, uh, probably not going to bet it. Yeah, I can't, I can't get to this one. And John, this is another one where it just feels like the world is on the same side. You know, yeah. I, I have the worst results when I get patted on the back. So like last week when I tweeted out that I was betting Luke, everybody, oh, great bet, man. Great bet. This is great. It's going to be so good. It's so easy. And he dies in the cage that night. Like that's, that's kind of how I feel with Bruno. Like everybody's picking Bruno. So I'm like, 
like what are we missing here <laughs> so yeah man i'm i'm a little bit too cautious to actually play the bruno side ko prop if you're gonna do it go for it um i wouldn't hate it you know if you want to close your eyes cover cover your face throw a dart play gm3 he's a guy that will always fight for your money gm3 is one of those guys john that i have no issues with anybody ever betting gm3 because he will die in the cage trying to get a win for you and with the way that bruno silva slows down in these fights that round three prop is always going to be there to bail you out so yeah violence for me if anything um, definitely not laying the money line probably on either side on this one. We'll see how the week ends up going, but uh, I'm picking Bruno and more than likely staying off of it. Maybe we'll sprinkle that round three sub prop for GM3 because why the hell not? <laughs> All right, everybody, we're getting towards the end of this bad boy. David Onama taking on Nate the Train Landwehr in what should be just an absolute barn burner as long as it lasts, right? David Onama is the hottest thing to come out in a while. Uh, Glory MMA, new uh, fighter there that they can hang their hat on. This kid is legit. Like, raw power, great gas tank. Will Another dude that I just talked about, GM3, he will fight for your damn money. Like, you have got to kill David Onama to get him out of there. I like this kid. I like him a lot. I know I'm not the only one that likes him, so that's not a hot take by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, rewinding things a little bit, Mason Jones may have been a little bit of a letdown. So like that, you know, decision loss that we all credit him so much for in a loss to Mason Jones, maybe we have to put a little bit of an asterisk next to it because of what we saw Mason Jones's last fight out. But I mean, he still TKO'd Gabriel Benitez after basically walking through the fire to get it done in that one. And Garrett Armfield, I, that's a tough one to call because I think Garrett actually is a, a decent fighter himself. But again, someone making his UFC debut. So this is another dangerous spot where everybody's all piling in on this favorite. I get it. I am with you. I agree. I like David Onama as well. But Nate the Train almost feels like he's getting just a little bit disrespected, right? Like he ate that fluky knee KO from Gilbert Burns in his UFC debut. And then he did well against the gas machine, Darren Elkins maybe robbed him that fight a little bit like the damage seemed to kind of sway the judges there on that one but he choked out luke dovit klein in round three in his last fight he got starched by julian arosa another guy that's just got crazy power early in round one he kind of runs face first into stuff and it's either the chin holds up or he mauls you <laughs> like i kind of love his game plan it's going to be fun for us to watch either way until this thing goes on but i can promise you that onama's gas tank will be tested by Nate the Train. So if he doesn't clip him early, if he doesn't get him out of there, Nate the Train is the kind of guy that might be able to overwhelm him and show us that there's maybe a couple holes in his game. Maybe the pacing isn't something that he can keep up with for 15 minutes. I like Nate a lot from a stylistic standpoint, the way he fights people and forces the action. And I like uh, I like Onama a lot from a future prospect standpoint. I like the power. I like the attitude. I don't think I'm going to lay minus 250 on David Onama here. Plus 210 to come back on Nate the Train. John, what are you doing? Yeah, I, th I think if you're going to bet a money line, I would lean towards Nate the Train. I'm probably not going to get there myself, but there's definitely reasons to like Nate Landwehr here just because, you know, like you said, he's a guy that will go out there and fight for your money. He throws in high volume, um, keeps a ridiculous pace. This dude has cardio for days. He's another guy that fought over an M1 facing a bunch of Russian dudes has really strong takedown defense. So even though Onama could potentially be the better grappler here, I think this one's going to play out on the feet. It, even if he does try to take it to the ground, which I don't even think he will, but even if he does, I think Landwehr can stuff the takedowns. And this is going to be a striking match. The problem with Landwehr, even though I think he could throw a little bit more volume 
put some pressure on Onama like Mason Jones was able to do. The problem is, you mentioned it, the recklessness defensively. Like, this dude, he's probably going to get clipped with something. And Onama is super powerful, and Landwehr's durability is honestly not that great. You mentioned he's been knocked out twice in the UFC, um, been through a lot of, of wars over there in M1 as well. So, I mean... I, I, I like some things of land. We're at a big plus two XX price tag, whatever he's at now. Like there's reasons why I would be looking to bet him as a dog, but I just keep going back to, he probably ends up getting killed here by something big on the Onana <laughs> right. side, which means I should probably just pass, even though I think there's value. John, I couldn't agree more, man. That's the exact feel that I get. Like, I feel like value boys mount up. Like we should all be on Nate the train this week. And he's going to get starched. <laughs> like, yep. At some point, he's going to get hit by something big, and it's just going to be over. No, I love it, man. That's that's exactly how I feel about this fight. It will not shock me whatsoever if Nate just kind of manages to maul his way to a 15-minute decision. I expect it to be scrappy. I expect it to be competitive. I like David Onama. I'm going to pick him to go ahead and win, but I don't like this price tag. Um, going to keep on going ahead. And yes, he damn Hamilton definitely saying there's no value in a losing ticket. A lot of people feel that way. And I understand why you do. Um, that's kind of why I'm staying off of this one. We'll see what ends up happening, but betting dogger pass, probably, um, picking, I'm going to go ahead and say David Onama probably will go ahead and get the win. All right, man, we did it. Main event time. We are there folks. We've gotten to the big one. Marlon Chito Vera taking on Dom Cruz. Massive opportunity, massive step up for our kid, Marlon Vera. I talked earlier in the night about a guy that I had jumped on early and then kind of found my way jumping off. I don't know why I ever got off the Marlon Vera train, guys. Like, I was one of the early ones that was like, I like this kid this kid is nasty his bjj is underrated his ground and pound is vicious he's got the killer instinct like what's not to love about chito vera and then the whole o'malley thing happened and like i don't know i started feeling like everybody jumped on he was a little over a little overrated like i don't know what the hell happened folks i really don't and i found myself betting against Marlon Vera the last couple fights and I'm just looking back and scratching my head like what the fuck are you doing like I I bet Davy Grant which Davy Grant's my guy so don't I still actually the way that fight went down I kind of like the shot on Davy Grant because the line was definitely wide but I bet on Frankie Edgar which again the fight was a little bit competitive but at the end of the day our guy just killed him it was deep in round three. He was probably going to win the decision anyway, but still, he you know he absolutely killed poor Frankie Edgar in that fight. So yeah, I just I, I kind of had to have a come to Jesus, slap yourself in the face uh, in the face moment where I went, you bet on this kid early on, you liked everything up until a point. What changed? Like nothing changed. He's still the same. He's getting better. This kid is awesome. I like Marlon Vera a lot. Now his opponent Dominic Cruz. This is another one of those spots. We talked about it earlier, John. I'm not great at telling you when these fighters should hang it up, when they're actually shot. Dominic Cruz seems like a guy that's got a little bit of gas left in the tank to me. The way he fought against uh, Casey Kenny, I know it was a split decision, but Kenny's a guy that I very much respect. That was a battle. The way he fought Pedro Munoz, it showed he still got it. That was a clean win over Pedro Munoz. He's still got the speed. He's still got the movement. Now, he doesn't have any way to win except for a decision. He's not going to 
submit Chito Vera. He's not going to KO Chito Vera. Like, and he is getting older. That's the thing with Dom Cruz. When you're a speed-based fighter, 37 years old in this weight class, you're going to have a hard time. Eventually, you are going to fall off the cliff. Eventually, you are going to start getting caught, taking damage. You know, He hasn't gotten there yet, but John, maybe this is the one. Um, I'm going to say that Chito Vera gets the win here. I think eventually he will touch Dominic Cruz. And I also think there's a, a damage-based argument to be had here where Dom Cruz may hit Marlon Vera 3-1 to one in strikes. But every time Cheeto touches him, it's going to hurt him. And if Cheeto gets this guy on the ground, like I said, he's got under, underrated grappling. Everybody forgets how damn good this guy is at jiu-jitsu. And his power strikes are vicious. His knees, his elbows. I just think he's going to end up wooing the judges in the crowd with the bigger moments. So I'm going to go Marlon Chito Vera to get the win here in the main event. John, what about you? Yeah, so finally, you know, what was it? 13 fights. I think we agreed just about on every single one of them. Finally, we get to the main event, and this will be the one where we are not <laughs> on the same side. I honestly, so I'll start off by saying I'm like the opposite of a Dominic Cruz fanboy. Like, I kind of can't stand his personality. Like, I'm not oh, a fan of the guy. Um, but... I think at this betting line, it is almost impossible not to see value on Dominic Cruz here. Um, and, and it seems like the line's just going to keep going, at least mm -hmm. for now. Um, so if you get like, if we wait and get a plus 200 on Dominic Cruz, I'm going to get involved. If you, if you want to chase a Dominic Cruz by decision prop, I'm, I'm going to have some sort of action on Dominic Cruz here. And it's not because I don't love Cheeto Vera. Like I'm like you, like I've always been a Cheeto Vera fanboy. Um, but you know, the fact of the matter is, like, historically speaking, he's not a great minute winner. He typically needs those big moments, like you said, or or finishes. You know, most mm -hmm. of his career, he's been able to get the finish. It's those decisions where it's like, and obviously looked great against Rob Font. That's where, like you said, like, where it's like Rob Font maybe landed more damage, but the damaging strikes came from Cheeto Vera. That was very clear by looking at Rob Font's face. The oh. problem is against Dominic Cruz, who's the opposite of that, right? Like historically, he's a great round winner, very high fight IQ, and he fights so differently than a lot of these guys that were willing to stand and trade with Cheeto Vera. Dominic footwork, or I almost said Dominic footwork. Dominic Cruz's <laughs> footwork and his ability to switch stances, stay on the outside, dart in and out of the pocket, those are all going to be things where it might be harder for, for Cheeto to find those big power shots. And then you talk about the grappling of Cheeto Vera. His grappling is... I think better than Dominic Cruz, but Dominic Cruz's wrestling is much better than Cheeto Vera. And he averages over two wrestlings per 15 minutes. He's got five rounds to work with here. I could just see so many scenarios where the striking plays out pretty competitively. Cruz is very good at negating a lot of what his opponents try to do with that footwork. So he could just make it difficult for Cheeto to clearly land really anything outside of some pretty strong leg kicks. So if he's going to mix in the wrestling as well and the striking, he could be competitive. He just needs to not get hurt. I think here, that's really the wild card. And it's certainly possible he can, because I think at this stage in his career, the durability is starting to go a little bit, not just the Cejudo fight. Um, I think he was dropped, uh, dropped in the Pedro fight, right? Like the Pedro Munoz fight. I think he knocked him down. Even the Casey Kenny fight, it seemed like he got stung once or twice there. Um, so it wouldn't be the craziest thing if Cheeto was able to hurt him. But outside of that, like I really think Cruz could win rounds here against Cheeto Vera, and we're getting a pretty big number to take that shot. So I don't mind taking the dog shot here. Like I said, I'm probably going to have 
some form of action, whether it's money line or a decision prop. I do think this one goes the full 15 unless Cheeto's able to find the finish. But unlike you, I think that might be the only way he wins here. So give me Don Dominic Cruz for the uh, underdog upset. Okay. I like that we finally got to something that we can disagree on here, John. That's fun for us. Hey, uh, if you want plus 200, Superbook Sports is hanging that plus 200 right now. Minus 240, Cheeto Vera, plus 200, Dominic Cruz. And it's funny because we use the exact same points to different ends here. I think that the five rounds gives Cheeto his opportunity to stay in this fight. You know what I mean? I can see Dominic Cruz winning 15 minutes, but then losing those bigger moments or even landing that finishing blow at some point with those 25 minutes. Man, I it's funny because this is going to be a very interesting fight. I don't have a bet here, guys. This is another one. This card is a lot like last week for me. Now, it's funny because I, I did end up going uh, 8 out of 10 on my picks last week and everyone is telling me clint why don't you just bet your picks just bet the picks you'll do what like i was super convinced on zach out of all those big favorites i thought zach was going to beat uzman there and he's the one that got deaded like if i had done parlays my parlays would have been killed i was gonna bet on uh you and i talked about this john backstage right before the fights got started i actually was gonna bet mckenna but I was going to take the decision prop because she always beats everybody by decision. She gets the sub. Like I saved myself from staying off those spots that I wasn't super convicted on. And that's kind of what I'm looking to do this week again, because while I'm picking a lot of these favorites, and I do think there's some decent opportunity for maybe a couple money line parlays, some of these bigger favorites that we think will just get the win. I do also think it's going to be very landmine-ish. I do think it's going to be very dangerous. You know, we talked about Gerald Mearshart. We talked about Devin Clark. We talked about Nina Nunez. Like, there are these fighters here that can absolutely pull off this upset. So I'm going to be taking it very, very carefully. And even though I'm picking Marlon Vera, guys, I don't know that I'm betting Marlon Vera. I can't wait for this main event. And it's one that I think is going to be a banger because it's going to be a chess match. Dominic Cruz is going to have to play it safe and not make any mistakes, which we know he's capable of doing. And then Cheeto Vera is going to have to show us that he's capable of taking this step up. He's going to have to hunt an old lion here. This is going to be fantastic. I can't wait to watch this fight. Uh, John, sad that you and I are on opposite sides here for the main event, but I will definitely wish you luck. And I love a good plus 200 underdog shot, man. Good freaking luck. And I hope you... Uh, you know, if, especially if I don't bet it, I hope you cash that ticket. <laughs> yeah, much appreciated, man. We had to we had to get one little disagreement there, so uh, I'm I'm not mad about it that we got one. It would have been kind of boring if we just agreed on every single one. So we'll see. Either way, I don't think either of us are going to be disappointed with the main event or the card in general, because uh, like we kind of talked about, I think it's just going to be a banger all around. It's true. It's true. And you know what, man? It's better for the people. When we have a little bit of a disagreement, it is far more fun that way. So I'm glad we got there eventually. Uh, definitely don't want to agree 24-7 the entire fight. But man, thank you so much for jumping on the pod here with me and joining me for a fun show. This was a blast breaking down these fights and talking with you. Uh, most of the people obviously are going to already know who you are. But John, shout it out. Let them know what you got going on, where they can find you, and how they can support you moving forward. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. Had a lot of fun talking fights with you. This was the first time we formally did this, so it was a lot of fun. Happy to uh, chat fights with you anytime. Shout out to you all in chat. You guys are hilarious. Saw a few comments in there that had me laughing throughout the whole time. But um, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, at JohnKellyDFS, that's where I post the majority of my content. I have my own website, FightNumbers.com, where I have a lot of free tools and information for MMA DFS players and sports bettors. And then obviously on YouTube as well, at JohnKellyDFS. 
I do a weekly breakdown like this, um, but it's just me and it's a lot shorter. That's the way I like it. Uh, just me, myself and I. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and then I do a Dana White Contender Series stuff as well. But uh, but that's it. I appreciate you having me, though, Clint. Happy to uh, come back anytime, bro. Thanks a lot, John. You're officially in the rotation, man. We've been uh, we've been talking on Twitter for a long time, and then just kind of making you know googly eyes at each other through the you know the podcasting. Never actually got it on camera. So you're in the circle, man. We'll have you back on the show. Absolutely, it was a a pleasure talking fights with you. Thank you for your time, everybody. Follow. John Kelly DFS, go check him out. He puts a lot of good content and information out there for everybody. Um, John, I am going to go ahead and talk about this Aries fight. So it is your choice. If you would like to dip off, you can. If you're uh, wanting to stay and talk some regional scene MMA and got nothing to do, you're more than welcome to hang out. No shame either way. <laughs> so I will say, uh, for those that know me well, they know I am a bit of a UFC snob. So I actually have no <laughs> idea what Aries is or who's fighting or anything like that. So I'm going to let you do the honors. But like I said, appreciate it, man. And best of luck to you this weekend. Fair enough. Thanks a ton, John. We'll catch you online, man. I'm sure we'll chat a little bit later in the week. Sounds good. Later, man. See you, man. All right. That was John Kelly, everybody. He's a good, good dude. All right. We got 219 of you left here on the show. Thank you guys very much for spending your Monday evening with me here on the Die Hard MMA podcast. You guys know the deal. I mentioned it last week. I'm doing some work for a company called Spectation Sports, and we're doing regional scene MMA. We're helping bring betting to regional MMA shows. So it's super cool. If you live anywhere near these shows, you're going to be able to find uh, ways to get money down on these fights. They'll be taking place, you know, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, depending on the region. And Aries is going all out for this bad boy. They are hiring our guy, Cody Saftik, to come do some uh, commentary and things like that live here for this show. And actually, Cody and I might be doing a preview of the show. So there's a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipe here for this one. But this is our card and you may know a few of these faces i am super excited for this fight card because it's got guys like comma worthy you know jacob kilburn they've fallen a little bit on hard times but they are uh, still getting it done here on the regional scene so what we're gonna go ahead and do folks i'm gonna walk you through this card here real quick obviously not nearly as in-depth as the ufc card but we're gonna talk it through and i will tell you guys why I set the lines the way they did because uh, Spectation Sports has me coming in here to set these lines there for them to set just kind of a baseline for people to go ahead and get their betting action off of these fights. The first fight on the card here is supposed to be Antoine Curtis taken on Kyle Lee. And let me get my note here real quick because I did. Uh, it's really cool. I get to meet with some people and talk to people and get the inside scoop on these guys. Um, so O and O taking on O and one. We only do pro fights. There's amateur fights and stuff like that that go before these ones. Um, but it's got to be a pro level fight to have any type of gambling or betting or anything like that on it. Antoine Curtis, he's a kickboxer. Apparently, he's got a lot of amateur kickboxing fights, and all of his wins are by finish. He's a BJJ blue belt. Um, Kyle got KO'd in his pro debut. He is 0-1 at this point, and he hasn't fought since. He's 35 years old. Antoine's 38, so Kyle is a little bit younger. Uh, but hitting that, you know, rough start there on his on his pro debut, he's a BJJ purple belt, so he is going to have an ever so slight advantage there in the grappling. They expect that, or I expect that uh, Kyle Lee is going to have a grappling advantage but sometimes he can get sucked into these brawls and that's really going to play into the hands of his opponent Antoine Curtis who really likes to uh, go to work with his stand-up game so guys I set this bad boy as a pick'em this is a pick'em fight because 
if Kyle Lee was on point, if he was sharp, if he was maybe a little bit more active, you know, he's the younger guy. He probably has that grappling edge and can go ahead and push it here. But the way he fights is going to play into Antoine Curtis's hand. I did set the uh, total here at one and a half juice to the under because I do think this is going to be a one round fight. Either Kyle Lee is going to be able to take An- Antoine Curtis down and get him out of there or Antoine Curtis is uh, going to go ahead and just starch him there on the feet because we've seen Kyle Lee knocked out in that way before. So that one is going to kick off the night in a fun way. Pick them price tag should be good. Next up, we got Damon Gaskin taking on Abamai. And how do you not love the guy rocking <laughs> rocking the uh, Chuck Norris topology photo? Like, how do you go wrong with that? <laughs> I love it. So Abamai is a 1-0 uh, got the leg up there, obviously, on his pro debut. Damon Gaskin making his pro debut 0-0. He is a 6-2 and amateur record. So doesn't sound great, Damon J- uh, Gaskin having the 6-2 and amateur record and then turning pro afterwards. It's funny, not to throw shade at anybody, I always wonder, like these guys that have really rough amateur records, like why do you think it's going to get better once you turn pro? Like I don't know if there's you know, incentive, maybe, you know, obviously, obviously you're not making money as an amateur, so you'll get paid as a pro, that kind of thing, but... Jeez, like I, I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't turn pro after <laughs> after that record personally. Um, I actually saw, uh, lined one of Abamai's fights previously, so I- I've looked into him before. He beat Austin Carter his last time out. Now, it was a split decision. It was tough. He had a hard time with some of the wrestling and stuff like that, but he's a BJJ purple belt. He's young. He's improving. His opponent, Damon, even though he's got some losses, he's never been finished. This guy is a, a Marine. He's a current officer for the Marines, and he is jacked if you're a fan of the friday undefeated post weigh-in show there you go this man is ripped up now he doesn't do well on the ground he's got that one hitter quitter power but he's tough to handle on the feet because he's just so big and he's tough and he's durable so it's one of those spots where like as a martial artist avamai's got him covered everywhere but damon gaskin is gonna have that one punch chance he's got that man strength he's gonna have the opportunity to get a finish so what i'm thinking happens here is abamai probably goes out and wins a decision i've got abamai favored minus 185 plus 150 to come back on gaskin and then i've got the total at two and a half with the over juiced all the way up to minus 300 because I don't see how Avamai finishes Gaskin, you know, and I do really believe Gaskin only has that puncher's chance. So the under two and a half is, is uh, pretty favorable for people. If they want to go ahead and take that shot on violence, I'm fully expecting Avamai to come out here and uh, just kind of keep it tight. Now he's a young kid could make a mistake, but Hey, you know, that's why we offer gambling lines, right? That's why you've got the opportunity to go ahead and bet that under, if you want to take the shot. I don't think it happens. I think Abamayi wins a decision. Now, Logan Neal taking on Derek Saunders, another Chuck Norris stepping in here for us on this one. Um, what we've got with Logan Neal is he's three and four professional. Derek Saunders is four and three professional. Uh, Logan lost a five round decision in his last fight for a title. So, you know, even with the record, he's he's making swings up, right? He's going for belts, things like that. He's a little bit better than his record showcases, in my opinion. Uh, he's going to have a ground game advantage grappling here in this box. Derek Sanders, it's funny. Apparently, these guys come from uh, rival teams. Like, they've had a couple of teammates that have had matchups previously, so it's turning into, like, a little local rivalry here for these guys. So, pretty cool. Um, but this is the first time he's uh, just joined Nashville MMA, I believe is the name of the camp that he jumped under. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Derek Saunders is a military guy, but he's an Alaska FC guy. Now, we haven't talked about that for a while in the UFC, but y'all know, y'all know about the Alaska FC fighters. You can take a fighter out of Alaska FC. 
you can never take the Alaska FC out of the fighter. The fact, I joke, I joke. This fight is relatively close. It's going to be competitive. Uh, but I do think Logan Neal definitely is the better of the two fighters. I've got him slightly favored, minus 150. Uh, Saunders is the plus 125 underdog here in this spot. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and fade Alaska FC, even making these betting lines for uh, for uh, <laughs> for this organization here. And I want to make sure you guys are fully aware of why I said it the way I did. Uh, we did do a total set at two and a half here for this one. Pick them price tag there. You know, you might as well do your thing. Uh, I don't really... These guys are, are uh, equal opportunity. <laughs> both of them have some finishes. Both of them have some decisions. So I didn't mess too much with the total there because I could see it being a you know a 15 minutes slobber knocker. I could also see one of these guys getting caught early. So pick your poison there if you feel like coming to play on that fight. Uh, Co-main event, I believe here. Oh no, I'm sorry. We got three more to do real quick here. Charleston Poe taking on uh, Zachary Hicks. Poe is five and one as a pro. Zachary Hicks is six and four. And it's another spot where I feel like the bad record kind of gives him a bit of a bad rap. He's a little bit better than he has showed. Um, Poe is a BJJ purple belt and he's a little bit smaller. He's a boxer. So he's got that background going for him with the hands. Zachary is a guy, um, wrestling coach, so he, he's got that wrestling background, good, solid grappler, BJJ purple belt. His striking isn't fantastic, but this is a spot where I think Zach Hicks could really come in and surprise some people. With that wrestling base, he's going to be able to grind. He's going to be able to work his way into the fight. So this one's pretty close to pick him. I'm favoring Poos ever so slightly. I've got him at minus 125, and then Hicks is an even money, plus 100 underdog, because I could absolutely see him coming out here and getting this thing done. It's just a matter of, how effective is he going to be, you know, uh, over the 15 minutes grappling? If he can get some work done, then he probably gets the win by decision. But I could see Pooh edging it ever so slightly with the boxing and the counter grappling. Total again at two and a half for this one. I'm expecting over, so it's it's juiced minus 140 or so to the over. Um, co-main event, this is where it gets good though, right? We've got Robbie Ring taking on Jacob Kilburn. You guys know Jacob Kilburn. He's a guy that we've uh, dealt with in a couple of organizations, made it to the UFC ever so briefly, and then I think he went to uh, Bellator for a fight after that. The problem that I have here, Kilburn's 8-6. and six. This is a massive step down in competition for him compared to what he's been facing lately. Robbie Ring, 4-0, and undefeated. Kid hasn't fought anybody. Hasn't fought anybody. So... He's got the story of people ducking him. He's too damn good, and the people on the regional scene want nothing to do with him because at this stage of your career, you need to rack up that you know 4-0, 5-0, 6-0, and then get your crack at Dana White Contender Series. Nobody wants Robbie Ring because they know exactly what he's going to do to them. He's 22 years old, and even though he's fought a super low level of competition, he's just handled everybody. He also fights at 135 normally, and he's taking this fight at 145 to get the name of Jacob Kilburn on his record. So that's a little bit concerning that he might be ever so slightly undersized. Now, Kilburn just moved out to Coconut Creek, and it's interesting because from what I understand, he's kind of struggling to make ends meet. He's trying, he's back working while fighting, which, you know, poor fighters, I, I can't imagine having that be your day-to-day -day where you're just trying to keep your head above water. And uh, he's having a hard time with the weight cut. He's fighting some depression type stuff. I mean, we've seen this guy reach the highest high and now he's fighting as a co-main event on this type of a regional scene. It's one of those spots where Kilburn probably should be favored pretty much everywhere just based on resume alone. However, he's taking on a stud who is hungry, 
who is looking to take a bite out of him to get back where he needs to be. And Kilburn is just in full backslide mode right now. So this is a 15-minute three-round fight. I've got Robbie Ring as a plus 115 underdog. Now, he's going to be the local guy there. So, like, everybody's going to want a piece of Robbie Ring. They're going to be rooting him on. Jacob Kilburn, I've got him at minus 190. And honestly, guys, maybe I should have set that a little bit higher. But this is one where I'm like, I kind of think Robbie Ring's at the point where he can maybe pass this test. And especially with Jacob Kilburn struggling with his weight cut, struggling with his mental health. Like, I don't want to get too much into that or anything like that. Uh, But we all know how that can affect you in a fight. And I'm worried that this is that spot where he's prime Jacob Kilburn. You know, two years ago, Jacob Kilburn probably will be able to go ahead and get this thing done. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely don't want to go ahead and and deal with that. I think that Jacob Kilburn, rightfully so, should be favored. But Robbie Ring is a dangerous kid. Someone we're going to be talking about very soon. Someone we're going to be talking about very, very, very soon. Uh, next fight up. What's up, Razor Sharp? See you in the chat there, buddy. How's it going? Sorry, I'm flying through this, so I'm not paying too much attention here to the chat. Want to shout my guy Razor out. He gives away free picks. He's awesome. Um, main event here, Trevor Peak taking on Kama Worthy. You guys know I got a soft spot for Kama Worthy. <laughs> Bet on him a couple times in the UFC. Uh, definitely a guy that I have tried to go to war with, you know, a couple times. Trevor Peak, though. Trevor Peak is a monster. Like this kid is five and zero, undefeated, all knockouts. Another guy who's, you know what? I was gonna say another guy who's fought like lower-ish regional scene competition, but the guys he's facing on the regional scene, they're not your usual cans. He's not fighting low-level regional scene competition. It's like solid-level regional competition. He's got an iron chin. He's one of these dudes that's just never been hurt. You know what I mean? Like people have chin checked him, and he just walks through it. Definitely the local guy, though. Definitely the guy that people are going to be coming to see. Uh, probably one of the top-ranked regional scene fighters in this area, though. Kama Worthy, again, same thing as Kilburn. 18 and 9, a guy that should have a lot of advantages. You know, the higher experience edge. Fought some of the better guys in the world. He's probably going to have a grappling advantage over Trevor Peak. But it's one of those situations where he might not be able to get this kid to the ground because Trevor Peak is freaking strong. Kamaworthy's going to have a reach advantage on him, but Trevor's probably going to have like that raw power puncher's chance type of advantage here. So with the 5-0 and uh, versus the 18-9, and I had to kind of respect this kid a little bit, but at the same time, I can't disrespect Kamaworthy. Kama should be able to win this fight. I made him a minus 225 favorite, and then Trevor Pique gave him uh, plus 180 as the underdog. I do think he's got, I guess, ever so slightly more than a puncher's chance. And then we set the total at one and a half because obviously the way Kamaworthy fights, this thing could be over in a hurry. The way that Trevor Pique punches, that one round hitter quitter KO is definitely something that is on the table there for him. So there you go, guys. That is going to be Aries Fight Series. I believe this card is called Amped. That's going to be coming up this week here on the 8th from Nashville, Tennessee. Like I said, shout out my guy, Cody Saftik. Y'all know I love Cody with the Dogger Pass podcast. Um, He is going to be doing live commentary for this thing. And if everything lines up, if we're able to work it out, him and I might be doing a show to dive a little bit deeper here into these fights for you guys. 
So that's what we got going on with the regional scene stuff. And we still managed to keep the show just under two hours. So thank you all ever so much for joining me here tonight. Thank you guys for coming in here and uh, hanging out, especially the 187 of you that are true diehards hanging with me all the way to the end here to explore some of these new awesome opportunities here with me. You guys are fantastic. I love the crap out of you. Seriously, you don't know how much your support and the love means to me, especially with this rough skid that I have been on recently. Um, so right now I do want to have a little bit of that, uh, come to Jesus moment here with you guys, especially cause you are the good ones, right? Like you're the ones that are supporting me all the way to the bitter end, hanging out with me. You guys are the ones that I want to, you know, have this talk with. And I, so when I first started the show, right, when I first started betting, I didn't really know what I was doing gambling wise. Like I was an MMA fan. I knew what I was looking at on the TV. I was grappling. I was doing jujitsu. So I really dove into MMA. It became my favorite sport very rapidly. And it was the betting aspect of it that I was learning. So there were some up and downs, but I was also very cautious. I was very tentative. I didn't do a whole lot with, with the betting. I was very careful with the bets that I made. And I ended up doing well for the first year betting, which nobody does, by the way. Like you don't start, you don't just pick up betting and, and do good at it. A lot of people pay uh, to learn and you pay that lesson with hard-earned cash. <laughs> and that's how it goes for most people. And that's what happened year two. What I did is I got away. I started to open up. You know, when you start getting comfortable doing something, it, you know, it's like jujitsu. You start going for flying triangles because you know how to do an arm bar. You jump to the next thing. That's kind of what happened. So I open up year two a little bit and I took an L. Uh, started losing because I was getting a little over aggressive. And it's funny because I've talked about this a couple times very recently. What I was doing is I was keeping everything at a one unit system. And then when I started doing two and three unit bets, the more confident plays that I had, those would lose. So then my whole night would be ruined by one big bet that would go down in flames. And the little bets that I had made, you know, whatever they were, were not enough to make up the difference for me. So I paid for that. I learned that lesson. And in year three, I did something entirely different where I kind of went back a little bit to the one unit model, but then that's when I started doing like the seven unit bets, which by the way are four and oh undefeated still, where I started bombing on spots that I just absolutely loved that were my locks. I know we don't say that word on this show, but you guys know what I'm saying. And uh, those have done well. And I started doing my degenerate sprinkles on the round threes and stuff like that. But the thing is, the degenerate sprinkles on the round threes, those were something that I let come to me, right? They were something that the stars aligned. I found them. I, I saw them. And it was like crystal clear in my mind how this fight would play out. And then I would play those. And that's why I started hitting those. But what happens with gambling, guys, especially with your boy, I very admittedly have an addictive personality. I think I started chasing those a little bit. You know, if you guys notice, now it hasn't been for the last couple of weeks, but like for the last year, I've had the round three sprinkles, like two or three of them a fight. Like I'm always sprinkling round three. It feels so damn good to hit 18 to one, 22 to one. So I started doing that probably a, a little too much. And I did definitely have some success last year, dog hunting, you know, Aljamain Sterling, the split decision that is not currently reflected on my overall betting record for this year. One of those spots that just, you know, hurts me to no end because I was not sure how I wanted to address the, the split props because of my deal with Superbook and stuff like that at that time. Um, yeah, it was just one of those things. I, I hadn't quite figured it all out. And what I've done the last couple of months is obviously not working. 
Uh, I've tried to open the playbook again. I'm I'm feeling confident about myself. I've learned how to do the betting. I've done the ups and downs. So I started doing more bigger bets. And then what I ended up doing is when I started hitting those bigger bets, I felt confident and I wanted to bet everything bigger. So my one unit became two units, if you guys noticed. Like every bet that I make from now, like for the last six months, it's been two units or more. And that's because I started going, oh God, like I'm in this hole. I'm losing, and now I'm betting two units a, a bet. If I go back to betting one unit, I'm never going to dig out of the hole. So I started betting two units, and then I bet four units. And I, you know what I'm saying? Like I just started letting it kind of steamroll. So what, what I'm telling you guys is, first and foremost, nothing changes here at the Die Hard MMA podcast, right? The show is the show. I'm going to bring you guys the best damn guests I can get my hands on. I'm going to try and bring good gamblers, your favorite people from Twitter, your favorite personalities that have come on the show previously, the best gamblers that we can learn from and get our hands on. They're going to come on the show and break these fights down with me. I'm going to continue being the degenerate that you know and love. But I got to rein it in. I got to rein it in. I got to get back to my roots. I got to get back to doing what I did that made me successful in the first place. And that was not being scared to take the shots on underdogs. Now I'm terrified to take the shots on underdogs because I've been wrong so much and I've buried myself under units for so much that I feel like I'm chasing. And that thought of, I see line value, but I can't pull the trigger is freezing me right now. So I've got to get back to doing what I did. And one thing that comes with that is making sure I step back down my unit size. I cannot keep hammering these two and three and five unit levels. Like I need to get back to the ones and twos. All right. So that's something I'm telling you guys I'm going to focus on very, very clearly going forward is that I'm trying to get back to chipping away. I'm going to play one and two units. If I break out a three or a seven unit bet, that needs to get back to being something that I'm confident on because that used to be the thing, right? When I was beyond confident, you would see a three or a seven unit bet. Now it's every single play is three units. So I got to get it back down to one unit being my standard bet. And then my bigger bets are the ones that you guys can understand are my more confident plays or the ones that I think we have the best value shot on. So full disclosure, I've been turned inside out. I've gotten my ass beat this year. I'm in a massive hole, but we're not going anywhere, folks. We're not giving up. I can make adjustments. I can work harder. I can focus more. My mental health has been a bit of a concern. And again, you guys are the real ones, right? Like I'm having this powwow with you for a reason. My mental health has been struggling a little bit this year. I have no problem admitting that to you guys. And that's been affecting my performance. I've gotten into this rut here on the show where it's felt okay to just keep doing what I'm doing. It's felt okay to just call the next guy and bring him on the show. And I'm the guy that brings the jokes, right? I'm the guy that brings the bits. I'll crack one. I'll make you laugh. And then just fire away whatever I want. And let variants sort it out. But that's killing me gambling, right? Like that's been the problem is that I have just been firing away. And as much as I love doing what I'm doing and gambling needs to be fun, it's so much more fun when you win. And for my mental health sake, it's okay if I'm a losing gambler, but I can't be a minus 50 unit losing gambler. So I'm going to work on myself. 
I'm going to try and get some more sun. I'm going to try and get some more exercise. I encourage you guys all to do the same. And I'm promising you all right now that I am going to make a better version of myself, both at a base level and gambling. And I think those two, those two things will go hand in hand. As I do better for myself, as I do better for you guys, the show's quality is going to go up. The reads are going to come back around. The focus, the intent, the decision-making all those processes are going to start to line up as I take better care of myself. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys. There've been the assholes. There've been the haters. There've been the naysayers. Not worried about them. Not worried about them even a little bit. You guys keep me going and I'm going to keep the show going for you guys. And we're going to turn this shit around. We're absolutely going to get on the right path. I want you to succeed. I want me to succeed. And I know, again, guys, I'm not the best gambler. I'm never going to be the best gambler. There's a lot smarter people out there than me. There's a lot better gamblers out there than me. I will always be your friendly neighborhood degenerate, okay? So that part's never changing. But we're going to do better than we've been doing this year. That I promise you. Guys, I know that was a little bit hard. I know that was a little bit tough. It was long-winded. I needed to get it off my chest. Thank you all for sticking around for the talk. You guys have a great week. As always, Pub Sports Radio is here with free betting content for you guys day in and day out. I'll be back on Thursday, Friday for the total takedown and the undefeated post-weigh-in show. Sean, my guy, I am so sorry to hear that. I am so sorry to hear that. He says he lost his brother just as shy of his 40th birthday and the addiction got him. And that's the idea, Sean. That's the idea. I am so sorry for your loss. I don't plan on letting that be me. I'm going to do better. For the sake of you guys, for the sake of my daughter, for the sake of the show, for the sake of myself. I'm going to watch some... Uh, I'm going to go watch some Rocky IV, you guys. Best motivating fight movie of all time. My favorite Apollo Creed quote, there is no tomorrow. And I'll leave you with that. You guys have a wonderful week. Let's roll.